Hello, everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. We have an exciting episode in store for you. We're talking about a lot of games. We're both Bloodworth and myself use the word overwhelmed right now. We are yep. overwhelmed, but in the best possible way. Uh, we've got an exciting episode because of games, but also because of format. We're mixing it up a little bit. This is something that we've experimented with before. Uh, we're going to be experimenting with it again. Instead of going person by person in the What You've Been Playing segment. We're going to go game by game, and we're not leaving anything out. I asked uh, the allies everything that they wanted to talk about, we're prepared to talk about. Um, we're including all of it, so yeah. well, uh, nothing is getting... Unfortunately, the things that I want to talk about that I can't talk about because I haven't started playing them yet. Right, <laughs> that, that you're prepared to talk about, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, but before we dig into the games, I always like to get started with, with a little bit of banter. Lower the guard, enter the frame trap, Get comfortable with one another. And so I've got a question for you. If you could put any person, fictional, not fictional, alive or dead, if you could make them the honorary 10th ally, who would they be and why? 10th ally. I mean, I think we've already gone down that road. we got some Rick Hogue appearing on almost we do every Rick podcast. Hogue. Yeah. So would he be your choice, fictional, not fictional, alive or dead, for his excellent legal advice and insight? I think, I think kind of like uh, you know, kind of like how Shane's got pack attack, like or Pactor Factor now. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think that's a fun little twist. Yeah. If there could be a Rick Hogue show sometime in the future. A Rick Hogue show, like somebody cruising up, driving to shoot that show every week, <laughs> setting up at a law firm would be fantastic. Uh, mine, a lot of these are for my own amusement. I think I would like to put Wesker in there just to see how Huber would respond. Yeah. I like, I don't know what you would do to him and I just kind of want to see. It's like, it's like putting these two things in a cage and seeing what Imagine happens. Imagine Wesker reviewing a game. Yeah. <laughs> what would that even be? I, w- I bet it would be extremely pretentious. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Really detailed. Yeah, really detailed. But, yep. like, good. Like, you're mad at it, but yeah. but a good review. Yeah. Yeah. You got anybody? For me, I'm going to have to say John Carpenter. John Carpenter? John Carpenter. We can get the John Carpenter. Uh, my understanding Ian is that Hank. John Carpenter plays video games. I believe he was talking about Prey. Yeah, he was talking about Prey. Mm. Okay. He was talking about Prey. Prey is definitely a John Carpenter kind of game. Yeah. Yeah. It is. We could uh, play some games with John Carpenter. He could make some music with Ian. Can you imagine John Carpenter on Easy Update? (laughs) What would that be like? Yeah. It would would be great. What would you stream? If you could stream a game with John Carpenter, what would be the first game that you'd stream? Evil Within 2. Yeah? Yep. I think he'd be into it. Blind blind playthrough with John Carpenter. Like, subsequently expose him to the rest of the Mikami backlog? Probably, yeah. I'd want to throw an Alien Isolation in there. Okay. See his thoughts? Yep. Then start talking about Alien, obviously. Okay. Just like being able to sit down and pick his brain. I have expected you to pick a wrestler. Like another one that I think would be good would be Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh. This would be a treat mm. on streams oh my and things gosh. like that. <laughs> Talk about energy. Talk about energy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Every game that we play, every tournament, just the screams that would come out oh, of his mouth would be yeah. very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we were talking about it before the show. We were talking about SNL. And that Papyrus kid, in case you haven't seen it, Google it, it's very funny. But uh, I think Tom Hanks would be really good as well. Tom Hanks! Tom Hanks? <laughs> Easy allies. Like, can you imagine? Like, he always comes a little bit late. He's little about bit. 10 minutes late to the group stream. But yep. when he comes in, he's making everybody feel gr- good. Yeah. Loosening him up. Tom so- Hanks loosening everyone up. <laughs> Sometimes he sends Colin Hanks. 
Okay. Which is when he can't make it. Okay. He sends Colin. Is Colin his son? Yep. Okay. Colin, I don't know anything about Colin Hanks. He's jolly. Okay. He'll come with, like, baked goods and sacked lunches. Why? Just, it's just, just a Colin yeah, Hanks thing? But, yep. Just Colin Hanks bringing food. That's a pretty good thing to have. <laughs> yep. I think uh, Tom Hanks would also be really wonderful on tabletop escapades. Mm. Oh, my As gosh. A character. Yes. <laughs> Probably wouldn't know any of the rules, but it's okay. Uh... <laughs> I'm your host for this Off the Rails podcast, Ben Moore. With me today, I'm joined by Daniel Bellworth, who, I have to say, uh, if you haven't seen it, look up the archive of his most recent Dark Souls 3 stream uh, because he cosplayed as a kid. Which character was it again? Laddersmith Gilligan. Gilligan. It is... He put... He spent money and put a lot of effort into this costume. Uh, really stepped up his game. It's Quality pretty Quality cosplay. <laughs> Quality cosplay. Uh, watching it with me, to my right... Michael Huber. Hello. How are you feeling? Feeling a little tired today. You feeling a little tired? What's making you tired? A little tired, a little blue. Just the, blue. the Las Vegas. Oh, mm. sure. Absolutely. Incident. Uh, Absolutely. I got some family and friends live out there. Sure. So just kind of. Is everything okay? Everyone, everyone out there is safe and sound. But Definitely. Not a lot of, you know, a lot of people are not safe and sound. Well, so, my sucks. thoughts. Yeah. Go out to everybody that you know, uh, obviously to the, the entire city. Yeah. It's a pretty pretty horrible Definitely. thing. Definitely. Uh, but I, as much as possible, when warranted, I like to make this show jolly, is exactly. a word we like to throw around. And I can't, respect. I can't think of a better game to start with in terms of vibes than SteamWorld did. Yes. Talk this to game me. lights me up. <laughs> Lights you up? Lights me up. I cannot stop smiling when I play this game. So we're all at different uh, points with SteamWorld Dig 2, but mm-hmm. you finished SteamWorld Dig 2. Yeah, I, I finished it and did the almost 100 percent of it uh, for the review. Whoa. Uh, you're about four hours in, you said? Yep. Okay. And I've played an hour and a half. Uh, Daniel Blower, since you have the most experience with it, let's get started with you. Can what are your thoughts? Soda really quick. Absolutely. Yeah, Can, yeah. You soda? Soda. <laughs> Can you grab me a soda? Can you grab me a soda and I'll a cup grab holder? Thank or I said cup holder. I meant coaster. Uh, Blood, how does it compare to the first game? Um, yeah, I, I, I'll try not to repeat myself too much, but um, sure. the, uh, the main thing that I took away from it, and, and maybe this is because I just went into the first game blind, is like people are just like, SteamWorld 2, SteamWorld Dig is really good, like you should play it. Yeah. And, and I actually ended up not playing it until like years later. Um, but, you know, I was just, I was out of town, I had 3DS with me, I'm like, all right, I'm going to play through this, you know, and so anytime I was you know, um, in the bedroom or whatever, I would just be playing some SteamWorld Dig. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, the first game, it was, it was almost like, like a good form of a bait and switch like it felt like just like this simple like all right i'm just gonna click on a bunch of tiles and i'm like okay i get money and that feels good and i go you know sell it and i upgrade and i feel better about digging you know and then it's like all of a sudden you start getting these new mechanics and you start getting the new areas and you're like there's more going on in this game than i realized Mm -hmm. um and two to me feels like okay we, we we did that we're not gonna try to like replicate that. We're just gonna make like a bigger, more yeah. uh, cohesive world, and and so like right away, like there's a bit of overworld that you go through, yep. and um, you get a, a new skill like right off the bat before you do much else, and so uh, that still does have the the digging elements, uh, but it is um, in a game that feels much more like uh, a more typical Metroidvania kind of game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in terms of this this sort of Metroidvania vibe that it has, where you're exploring around, finding secrets, getting new uh, equipment and then getting new mods for that equipment so it functions in a different way. How do you think that stuff is doled out? Do you think the upgrades that you can get are meaningful? Do you think you're finding that stuff at a good pace? Like, is that stuff interesting in and of itself? Yeah, I think it all works pretty well. The, uh, the like, the big, like, new ability upgrades, they're, they're exactly what you want out of that kind of game because, um, for instance, uh, the hookshot, like when you get the hook shot, it completely changes how you move around that world. Mm-hmm. Like before, like you're relying a lot on you know running and jumping and wall jumping, yep. and, and now it's just like zip. It's like all right, and then hold on to that wall and then zip. And then, but they they almost immediately give you new challenging things to do now that you have this new skill. So it's, it's like you are more powerful, but then you also have to like master this ability that you've gained. So what sort of new challenges are they presenting to you in order to account for that power that you're getting? I mean, it's it's just, it's a different kind of platforming, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you've, uh, the the one that re- makes the most use of it is, uh, it's kind of like a floor's lava kind of concept where there are just switches all yep. over this room. And if you touch any of those switches, then you fail. So you're like having to like precisely hit those points in the wall, zip across the room and like really never fun. touch a switch. Mm. Um, and I think that's another thing that's different is that uh, even though they had those side caves in the first uh, SteamWorld dig, in this one, every side cave feels like... Like a shrine from Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like it, it feels very <sighs> like specifically, purposely like a challenge room. Mm. So that, you know, every time it's like, okay, I, I've got to figure out a puzzle or I've got to make use of my skills or I've got to, like, get through some, some dastardly platforming. You said this game lights you up. 10 out of 10. What's the number Five one reason game. that it lights you up? Vibes. Vibes? Jolly. Tell, tell me about those vibes. Mm-hmm. Jolly, colorful vibes. Okay, is it just colorful? Is it just happy? Super colorful. Is it more meaningful? Um, dude, the best part, because, again, I love SteamWorld Dig 1, love SteamWorld Heist. Yeah. Love that this game starts off with her uh, Dorothy looking for Rusty. Yeah, mysterious. The immediate connection, the immediate yeah. connection of like, mm-hmm. you know, we're not gonna like shove this down your throat, but like something happened with Rusty. You're looking for him, and it's just like old west vibe of like getting to town and like following the leads of like, yo, last I heard he was here. So I just really like the <clears throat> the scenario of it all. And then just all the quirky little people within the hub world, all the people you encounter, like the guy that collects the artifacts, mm-hmm. you know, the mayor, uh, the guy that buys all of your relics. Well, all- the mayor's mother, too. The mayor's the mother <laughs> is so hilarious. Like, the whole cast uh, just has personality. And, yeah, the game just feels really good to play. The economy is really good. Things just... Like you get economy to, is very important to you. Economy is very important to me. Mm-hmm. So like, it starts out you keep getting upgrades at a pretty steady clip, and yeah. then you get to a point where it's like, all right, I've kind of got all these cheap upgrades. Now I need like seven hundred to get this upgrade, or five hundred to get this one. And while you go to harder locations, and they give you more money, it still like takes a little bit of time yeah. to get your upgrade. So they they sparse them out. Uh, Steamworld League Two. 
is not unique in its ability to do this, but mm -hmm. something that I always love when you're given multiple options for upgrade paths yeah. is when you can't immediately look at a skill tree and go, well, I obviously need that more than anything else. Yeah. And that, to me, at least, happened in SeamWorld Dig 2, where it's like, well, I do want to power up my pickaxe, but yep. boy, that light's going down really quickly. Yes. And I'm, my inventory's always full. And so yep. I feel like all of these different paths are, are equally valuable. Then, or then, at least there are a lot of valuable paths. Yeah, guess, then you get the, the jackhammer, and the you, you have to start using that because there's more steel deeper down. Mm -hmm. So then you're using more water. So then I'm like, oh, man, now i got to start upgrading my water. <laughs> so... So, Blood, throwing it back to you. Are cool. Yeah. Uh, Hubert talked about the the personality and uh, the immediate connection that you had with Rusty in the first game. What do you think about Dorothy in comparison to Rusty? Uh, is is she an interesting character? How does she compare to Rusty? Is she kind of just Rusty the sequel? What's going on there? Yeah, I don't know that I'd say they have a whole lot of personality to them. Um, mm. You know, mm. obviously you have the little Willowist uh, character along what's with his, her Fen. What's his Fen? name? Fen. Okay. Yeah. And so that character is kind of funny because he's always dark. He's like, let's blow stuff up. Let's, you know, can we get to kill anyone yet? And like, you know, and so she's just kind of, you know, trying to, to keep him uh, contained. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that there's anything about her personally that really strikes me. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about in terms of vibes is the music is real. Oh good. my gosh, the music. Yeah. Yes, Port Orth. that town, it's like, okay, let oh me my just gosh. hang out for a while. Yep. More than one. More than one song where I'm I'm just blown away by the music. Here and then you, you like start playing it in your head when you're mm -hmm. not playing the game. It's like, oh, yep. just listen to, yep. put that on loop. It's so good, <laughs> blood. Do you agree that, that Dorothy and Rusty don't have a lot of personality? In terms of like deep backstory mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of dialogue and lore to build them up, yeah. no, but... The like the blueprint is there, and more than enough for me. Like mm -hmm. she shows up in town, she's got a no nonsense attitude. Like I'm going down there, I'm gonna find him. I need to find out what's happening. Right. So, for a you know, it's a smaller game that's not hugely focused on plot. Again, it's more about the scenario. Yeah. So I think there's enough there to to get behind her and, and get behind her cause. So there's been it's been a good year for Metroidvania games. Uh, You've got Dead Cells earlier in the year. You've got Metroid Samus Returns, which just recently came out. Um, and then you have another game that I think shares a lot of similarities with those types of games. Uh, and not only that, but it's also just an extremely crowded year. What makes SteamWorld Dig 2 worth playing if you've been playing a lot of these types of games? And what makes it worth making time for in this very crowded year? Accessibility. Okay, I have been paralyzed the last week or two in terms of starting a new game. Okay. You know, I've been in the mm -hmm. Destiny 2 black hole. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Same. We've had a ton of streams, ton of work. It's yeah. been nonstop. Mm -hmm. um, so when I finished Destiny 2, you know, because we've been so busy and everything, it's like I keep going back to Destiny 2 because I'm already invested in it. And I can play, like, you know, the weekly reset or a strike here and there, play with some friends. I haven't been, like, ready to start a new game. Like, I have near near to start, Yakuza to start, Dishonored 2, Death of the Outsider to start. Those are all very time-consuming, very intense, very big bricks. Yeah. October's coming up with all those huge games. SteamWorld Dig 2 is a game that you can flip on for 30 minutes at a time or sit there like I did for four hours and just 
addiction can't stop, but it's a very good game to throw on for any amount of time you have. You didn't intend to sit there for four hours. It just happened. Correct. That's the best. Yeah, I I think, again, it goes back to that, you know, that sense of empowerment towards, like, you're always always just getting a little bit Um, better. It's like, like, go down, come back up to town, see what else you can improve, tinker a bit here and there, you know. And uh, I do feel like there's some stuff, like, once you get to the high end of your upgrades that feels a little bit overpowered and, mm. and takes away from some some of the late game challenge areas um, but uh, for the most part like that's the thing that kind of keeps you in there it's mm. like you're just always getting just a little bit better here and there sure because you level up your character and you level up every item yep and you have upgrades for all the items too and you can find artifacts which unlock more blueprints so there's a lot of discovery uh, what I did that I didn't think I was going to do, and I just did it, and I'm so happy I did, because this, I think, has made the game ten times better for me. I turned off the map. Oh, oh yeah. The, the pointer. The pointer. Yeah, I did pointer. that, I did that too. Yes, Bloodworth. This was huge. Okay, I started the game, and it was like telling me where to go, and, and it was just like pulling me along. And then it finally says, like, you know, you can turn this off in town if you want. It's not just, like, turn on, turn off, turn on, turn off. You have to do right. it in town. Right. But you, once you make the decision initially, you can yeah. correct it. Yeah. 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 So I was like... Or switch it, not correct it. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it off and just see how things go. Yeah. Turned it off, and I just went and started digging, and it felt liberating and yeah. freeing. I and actually this, ended up... Uh, there was so much discovery. Like, it felt sure. good. I was afraid to do it. See, I, was like, it oh, on. I, don't I get actually lost. have it on right now. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't really put too much thought in it. And so yeah. hearing Turn it off. The, the joy that you're having with it For off, sure. it's definitely something I want to try out. I yes. actually ended up completing like two main objectives before I got the quest, basically, to, to yeah. Yeah. like go here. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I've, I've got two out of the three of those things taken care of. It's uh, funny. But uh, yeah, and, and like worked my way like back to the beginning of the game and like using my you know later upgrades and like oh there's some stuff here that i missed and yeah, yeah. so heck pr- yeah pretty fun i recommend you know taking a chance try it try it with it off for a bit yeah definitely i would say just try steamworld dig 2 in general yeah. please yes it's and I, if you haven't <laughs> if you're, this is the first time hearing about steamworld dig 2 steamworld dig 1 and steamworld heist also highly highly recommended these are some of my favorite indie games of all time. Yeah. They are so wonderful. Well, Amazing games. And they're not very long. You know, they're like four to six hours. As I was playing so, it. Well, as this I was is playing, a little closer uh, to 8 to 10. 8 to 10. Yeah. Okay, cool. SteamWorld Dig 2, I was thinking to myself, this is... <laughs> saying it does not, I think, get across the full experience. But it just is such a highly tuned game mm-hmm. where I feel like I'm constantly discovering new things. I'm constantly like being pulled in different directions. They make yeah. it pretty easy to get lost in a really fun way. Like it just seems so well crafted and well made and not that the studio hasn't made great games before, but yeah. this just absolutely seems like just that extra step up. Yes. And uh, my question for the panel is, let's say we've got SteamWorld Dig 3. Where do they go from here? What areas could they improve on? What new additions would you like to see? SeaWorld Heist had really cool mechanics. It was so different than SeaWorld Dig. Yeah. It was a turn-based mm-hmm. it's a strategy game. Strategy game. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see it kind of combine, maybe. Mm. You know, get the SteamWorld Heist wor- like lore in there. There are some connections, you know, of the Steambots mm. and all that. 
get crazy with the story because like it's I'm not done with two, but it's setting up some stuff. Of course, one sets up some stuff. Cool. So maybe have uh, two or three playable characters possibly, and uh, mm. you know maybe have a digging character like Dorothy or Rusty's back, and you can dig. But then also have like a mercenary character, and they can go down, and it's more like turn-based battles or something. I like love somehow the combining idea them both of starting as a character who digs, but as you're digging, you uncover new characters, and yeah. then they join your party, and they can do different things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be cool. That'd be cool for three. I like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to get because because I feel like maybe this is just a rumor. I I feel like somebody said that. Uh, They've gone out and said that there won't be more. So. Oh, there won't be more. Well, I guess uh, I did not know that, so that's, that's on me. That's yeah. depressing. But uh, I guess then to modify that question is what would you like to see next from the studio if it is not the same, if it's not SteamWorld Dig 3? SteamWorld Heist 2. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, what I think's great is just, you know, how, again, going back to the vibes, like how good their, their art looks and, like, the people they partner with for the music as well. It's mm-hmm. like you could take anything, like just do anything, you know, <laughs> you want like yeah. another big, you yeah. know, type of game that, you know, if it's another Metroidvania with a completely different aesthetic, but still with, with their qualities, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, uh, they bet on, on that file size. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And like, 200 megs. It was, yeah. It was like only 200, 300 megs to download this game. It's just like, it looks so good. Yeah. How in the world? Like, Did- I've had screenshots that look, that are bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> so last night, uh, I finished playing through Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Mm-hmm. And I think nice. both of those games share a quality, uh, that I really admire that is very difficult to articulate. Um, and I think it's very easy to dismiss love of Metroidvania games or 16-bit style games, which this is SteamWorld Dig 2 is admittedly not, but I think it's easy to dismiss praise of those games as simple nostalgia. But I think there's something that you can do aesthetically with a game. I think Animal Crossing does this very well, where it just, the way that they present it, the way that you are introduced into the world, the way that characters look, it just has sort of this invitingness yes. to it. Yes, it's so uh, warm. This, it's, it's so it's, cozy. It's a warmth, right, yep. where it is exaggerated enough that your mind just goes, this is completely fictitious and fantastical, and I'm mm-hmm. totally on board. Absorbing. And that is exactly what happens with SteamWorld League 2 and why I'm not surprised... Huber, that you sat down for four hours. Yeah. Because Couldn't it's just, stop. it's like SteamWorld Dig 2 is wrapping its arms around you. Yes. Uh, Loving embrace. Yeah. It's, it's very good. I uh, recommend it. golf it, kind of game that feeling too. Totally. Yeah. Anyone watching or listening, seriously, when this podcast is over, go get SteamWorld Dig 2. Well, or one, or heist. Do it. We're going. I cannot hype it enough. We're going in a completely <laughs> different direction now. Couldn't be further from SteamWorld Day 2. We're going to be talking about Destiny 2. Destiny 2! And the reason we're talking about Destiny 2 is we, you can talk about whatever you want. We can talk about the game yeah. in general, which we've, we've done a little bit before. Uh, but I it's a big milestone for me. I'd never finished the Destiny raid. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we finished the Leviathan raid. We sure did. Late Saturday night. Technically yep. Sunday morning, I guess, is when we I think finished. we finished at 11.30. Took us like seven hours. I don't remember. Yeah, it was, because it was, it was like seven hours on the yeah. other guy. Okay, was, yeah, it was very long. Yeah. Uh, a big motivation was to get Kyle to say weekly hunts, but yes. that's neither here nor there. Uh, the but the raid was fantastic. I can't and wait to talk to you about this, Ben. For years, I'm I had, so pumped. I had heard that raids were the best part of Destiny, but 
just due to time or falling mm-hmm. off of Destiny or whatever excuse I had, uh, I did not finish a Destiny yes. raid. And I really like Destiny 2 a lot. Yeah. And part of the reason I like Destiny 2 a lot, which is funny because a lot of people are complaining that there's not they're they're bored of Destiny 2. They've kind mm. of seen everything. Mm-hmm. They're running out of content. Uh, I think the ramp up in terms of loot progression is so much smoother mm-hmm. in Destiny 2 compared to Destiny 1, especially at launch. And it made me want to keep going yeah. rather than just hitting that brick wall. Totally. I always felt like I had something to look forward to to get me closer or I was enjoying the things I was doing enough to get there. Uh, but going on to the raid itself, when I think back, so there are different wings of this Leviathan raid. And when I go back and I think about each individual wing, it's not that hard when you write it out on paper what you have to do uh everybody has a job and have to do that job the the trick of it is it's not about really shooting all that well it's about communication communication and the way that they use different mechanics to enforce that communication is fantastic Mm -hmm. it's so good uh and luckily, we had a huge advantage because uh, you and then an Easy Allies community member, Hedgie, had already been through the race. Yeah. So you could tell us what was up. But seeing people learn, seeing people slowly understand their roles, mm-hmm. going through the effort, like... The well-oiled machine the that machine. it becomes the on like the 10th time. That it becomes yeah. uh, was absolutely fantastic. Like, yeah. it... It felt like an achievement because every person that was in there didn't yes. feel easily replaceable. It's like, no, we, yeah. we actually need all six people. Yeah. It's not like six people is just an arbitrary number. It's like, you've done a good job of having everybody in that group do something meaningful. And if they're not contributing in the role, yeah. then everybody will fail. Uh, but going through it a second time and going through it with us, uh, was it as absorbing and interesting to you that second time? And... Were there any frustrations that you experienced with us? No, the uh, it was just as fun. I mean, there's not a, there's no surprise, so that's you know you don't obviously don't get the wonderment of the first time of right. like whoa, the discovery, just, quickly... just like landing on the ship yes. and seeing this giant yes. structure, like it is a sight to behold yes. for sure. As somebody who's never done the raid before, I want to talk about that wonderment yeah. because I think when you have something like the raid, right, when you build it up, when you kind of tease players where it's like you got to get to the end to mm-hmm. get to this raid, uh, it's important that it just doesn't feel like a souped up strike, yeah. that it doesn't feel like a slightly modified version of stuff that you've been seeing for yeah. the last however many dozens of hours. And when you get there, when you get on the Leviathan, mm-hmm. and I don't want to ruin it for people who have experienced it, but it's so grandiose. It's like almost gaudy. Everything is just huge and exciting. And you feel like, yes, this is... You made it. This is a place that looks... Special. It's it's like Endgame. It's just branded all (laughs) across it. And it's really cool. Um, You know, and and this is not a slight to Call of Duty or Battlefield, two franchises that I absolutely love and adore, Mm -hmm. but... Multiplayer in those games is still a team thing. You know, Battlefield, it's like, all right, 32 on 32. But even Battlefield, when I'm, like, squatting up and we're rolling in a tank or, like, rolling in a Jeep together, you know, you still feel like you're playing it alone, in a sense. Why do you feel like you're playing it alone? Well, especially Call of Duty. It's, like, five on five or whatever, but you're running around. You don't have time to stop with your buddy. You know, it's run down the hallway, shoot. Run down the hallway, shoot. You know, run over here and shoot. You don't have time to, like sit back with a buddy and say, like, hey, let's go do this. Like, Battlefield, sure, the pace is a little slower. You know, I can say, hey, let's go get in this, like, tank, or let's go get in this plane, let's go Mm -hmm. this way. Like, you can still group up a bit. But the Destiny 2 raid takes teamwork, it takes cooperation 
to me to the next level mm-hmm. of every second you need to be on point with and communicating with your teammates right you know even like i said even battlefield you know when you're with a buddy in a jeep you still it still kind of feels solo yeah in a way i don't know if that's fair or not i guess something not knowing anything about the raid before going in something i was worried about is that it would just be different sorts of dps checks mm-hmm. where it's like Okay, the challenge here is you need to do a lot of damage in a certain amount of time, and to do that, you're just going to need these certain weapons. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to shoot this way and use these abilities at this yeah. certain time. Like, just staggering out when you needed to throw grenades mm-hmm. or use supers and everything. And, and that's fine, but I really loved that it's like, no, you've got to shoot these symbols at the right time, and the people who are running around in this cage have to jump through these holes and grab this hoop, and they have to call out yeah. what circle the thing. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's so crazy. It, I mean, it has... It's mind-blowing mechanics. It's not that it doesn't have anything to do with shooting or your abilities, but it is it is a whole new way to think about the game and how you yeah. move around within it, which is really cool. And, like, first-person shooters have limitations in what they can be and do, you know? Like, yeah. mechanically, it's a first-person shooter. You're going to run, run around and shoot things 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. But, like, for them to have such interesting ways to progress without shooting Mm -hmm. i think is really awesome like just the the part when each person sees a different symbol and those people need to tell the other people what they see and you don't want to clog each other up on the microphones because you have like such limited time so you're rattling off the order of like i see this i see this i see this okay they get that yeah you know it's just it's really fun it's awesome. It, but, Ben, my question is... Yes. Does it change the way you view Destiny 2 as a whole? It does. Mm-hmm. It does change the way that I view Destiny 2 as a whole. Um, because I think without the raid, the way that I view Destiny is... I'm shooting things to get a bigger number so I can shoot tougher things so I can get a bigger number. Where it's just, you know... This, this circular thing, whereas the raid is sort of this huge payoff that breaks the chain, yeah. basically, where yep. it's like, I'm Everything shooting things you did. to get a higher number, to shoot things to get a higher number, to eventually get to this crazy, super unique, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how similar it is to the raids, but to me, at least, it felt super unique, very mentally taxing, mm-hmm. like, it felt like this, this accomplishment, and even though I've done it now... I know that more is coming. Yeah. And if it can be as satisfying as this was, yeah. then I'm in. I am willing For to sure. shoot more things to get a higher number yeah. to get to that point once again. Destiny 1 had four rates. Yeah. So definitely more to Do come. Do you think they were all pretty even in quality? Yeah. People love Vault of Glass, mm. I think, the most. And Taken King, I think. Those are like the two favorites. Uh, a lot of people are really really big on vault of glass which was the original cool so yeah i yeah wish i could have seen that it's all right destiny 2 you made destiny it destiny 2 and it feels good too like no. i feel like destiny 2 for me now is in a spot where it's like okay pretty much done with everything halt the halloween event i'm definitely gonna dip back into yeah but now i can kind of just let it sit i've accomplished everything i need to accomplish right expansion coming out in a couple months um, dive back in for that I actually want to touch on that, but before we do, Blood. Mm-hmm. So Destiny came out, a uh, lot of, I mean, huge game, obviously, a lot of controversy, but also a lot of people spending 
many, many, many hours in it. Destiny 2 coming out. Similar sort of thing happening. I feel like, Blood, you don't have a lot of Destiny experience. Any reason for that? Um, it's Yeah, I think it's just like, you know, what Huber's saying. It's like, it is a game about grouping up with other people. And, mm-hmm. you know, when the beta came out, like, I hopped in and I, I played through the beta with Ian. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's just... It's hard for me to like schedule those blocks of time sure. a, a lot, and especially like when other people that I want to play with are playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's just from so for me, like a lot of the times, like single player or multiplayer, where it's you know it is sort of me against everybody else kind of thing. It's easier for me to to do because I just whenever you know I, I just turn it on and I'm, I'm doing that. I don't have to schedule a time for it or invest a huge amount of time to be able to do it because like you had to play a long time just to be able to participate i had to play a long time just to be able to participate in the raid yeah Yeah. um which i'm I'm sure it's like nothing compared to what a lot of destiny one players went through Mm -hmm. but to me it felt like a reasonable amount of time definitely uh blood when you played the beta were there things that you liked or were interested in uh either the world or the way that it the way the shooting felt anything like that yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed just, like, the basic call-out of, like, I'm putting a healing circle down, like, get over here, you know, and um, so, yeah, like, the, yeah, the, the basic elements of it, I, I, I definitely enjoy it. It's just, mm. again, it's just, like, on on the giant list of things that I want to play. It's, like, sure. I haven't really gotten to that point yet, and I would also feel like, yeah, like, one or two of you guys would just, like, have to rope me in. It's, like, all right, we're going to yeah. do this now, you know, so. I bet blood would be a perfect raid member. Like Warlock, wouldn't, wouldn't get salty. Nova bomb wouldn't get salty. Would follow directions extremely well. Yep, perfect. Reliable. Oh yeah, uh, reliable Huber, blood for sure. So there's been there's been some noise, uh, and I, I don't think it's wrong by any means. But I want to get your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Where people are like, man, we're we're done with SC. We've done we've done everything. You know, we've done yeah. the raid multiple times. Uh, we've done the prestige nightfall. We've done trials, and for this game that we were looking forward to for years, mm-hmm. we, we feel like we're running dry. Do you mm-hmm. think that's 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 a valid complaint, or how do you feel about how Bungie is, is handling Destiny 2? It's really, really sticky question, and yeah. a sticky answer. Um, PvP, to me, has the benefit of having the longest legs, where yeah. you can play PvP, you know, people still play Overwatch, Years later, like I have PvP to say, is I really constantly. Like PvP and Destiny 2. I really like PvP and Destiny too. You know, yeah. Trials of the Nine, mm. out of control every weekend. It's like MLG, CS:GO tournaments, out of control. <laughs> it is professionals only. Will make you weep. It is butt clenchingly tense. It is yeah, and hardcore and long. It's it's just cool seeing such a hardcore side of of Destiny too. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I mean, PvP, to me, can last so long. But I I get it. Like, Destiny 1 had the endless grind grind of trying to get the perfect weapon drop because weapons had randomized perks. Yeah. So you you would try to keep getting it, you know, until you get that perfect drop, and that could take months, you know? People want Galahorn. Like, gotta get that drop. Gotta get that perfect drop. So it's, like, endlessly doing that. That isn't fun for me it's not fun for me either you know like i like that i am in a place now where i can just check back in right to destiny 2 you know again the halloween event is coming up 
They're definitely going to inject some life in there. They did faction rallies right now, which is cool, but it, it just ended today. It didn't really seem like a... You know, it was nothing special. It was nothing really new. There were a couple new vendors, but there weren't any really new activities mm-hmm. to do. Um, I'm hoping Halloween adds, like, straight-up missions. But, yeah, I, li- I like it being in a place where I can just check back in now. And, again, because there's no... You know, you, you think of World of Warcraft where it's, like, this monthly fee. You better not run out of stuff in World of Warcraft because you're paying a monthly fee every month. Right. Like, Destiny 2, yeah, you have to pay for expansions. That's a bust. But, like, you paid 60 bucks for a game and you played it for 100 hours like right. that seems pretty good yeah <laughs> you know dishonored 2 death of the outsider is like 30 or 40 bucks and that's like seven hours i think it is always good to keep other perspectives in mind though mm-hmm. and uh, one of those perspectives that i think i i do understand and i see where they're coming from is for me the way that destiny 2 is structured mm-hmm. is better i want to do it because i i feel like i'm i'm getting more like i there would be times in destiny one where it's like man i've been playing for hours and i am at the same spot where i started yeah and that doesn't happen to me in the same way that it did uh, in destiny one and destiny two but i think there's something to be said of somebody who gets that perfect drop of that super rare thing or, or has something that like 0.01 percent of people have or the grind is structured in such a way that if this happens, you you are extremely unique. And I'm not yeah. saying that that doesn't exist uh, at all in Destiny 2. It kind of does, but I do think there's a little bit more of a sameness amongst all the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think maybe they should put a little bit more of the grind back in or not? So they were, they, they were on to something with the raid. They were on to something because the rooms switch, the rotation... Mm-hmm. So we started with the gauntlet. The time I did it, we started with the bathers. So mm-hmm. the order of the rooms changes, Bloodworth. Mm. People were speculating after week one that there were going to be entirely new challenges within the raid. That it would be this like shifting challenge room, you know? So yeah. every week you're getting something different. That was ambitious to think of, but, you know, this yeah. being Destiny 2, the possibility was there. I think that if they had done something like that... That's a lot to ask. It is a lot to ask, but at the same time, it's buying the game a lot of time, and a lot of... It's giving it, a, it longer legs, because, like, you know, there's three challenges plus the final boss. Mm-hmm. Imagine if those were rotating, like Indiana Jones at Disneyland. You know, you go down, like, there's five tracks or whatever gotta wait in line every time get back on hopefully get a different one so like if they had a couple extra ones to throw in maybe you know you can't see everyone each week so that's mixing it up it's like oh what are we gonna get this time having more of a surprise having more of a reason to go back into the raid yeah me right now i don't have a reason to go back in ben you know i've seen i've done it twice i've seen it all i feel feel satisfied i think that is the most important but the people that want to stick around that would be incentive just adding a couple new challenges in the raid um because you know i'm trying to think like i'm trying to again putting it into perspective i'm thinking of world of warcraft legion coming out i'm thinking of mmos i'm thinking of final fantasy 14 yeah it's never enough it's never enough. It's never, ever, ever. <laughs> I completely agree with it's you. It's never enough, I'm, and I'm not saying that in a in a in a mean way. No, it's not at it's not. all. Right. It's like 
never underestimate how fast the community will go through a video yes, game. Absolutely. Right? Especially when you are connected. Something is already a known quantity. Exactly. Yeah. And when you're connected to the internet, when you are connected to the best players of the game in the world, you know, the head right. the headlines are team finishes Destiny Raid in five hours. Yeah. You know? The, they're the best players in the world, but that's the headline that everyone sees. That's the narrative that's written. Whereas yeah. a normal group goes in there, right. it's going to take them 30 hours, <laughs> you know, 20 hours. And it's like, and it's, it's never always... going to be enough. You're always going to run out of stuff to do. So when you compare it to Destiny 1, the week Destiny 1 came out, people were done in a day. Right. We beat the campaign. It's like, oh, now we just do strikes over and over. Right. So to compare where Destiny was, 1 was... The month it came out versus Destiny Two, I think it's in a well, lot. Well, and place. how much, how much is having each of those classes? Like, is it worth going through and like getting every one of those classes up? Absolutely, but I think people have even done that. Blood, you know, yeah, because it is way advantageous to have all the classes max level. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, the faction rally. You could, you know, subscribe to all three factions. You're gonna win 100. percent You can get the gun for cheap. Uh, you know, Zura comes and sells a piece of gear for everyone, so you can buy it for all your. Yep. You know, the oh, platinum trophy. The I platinum trophy that. is like so obtainable. Like the mm. the platinum is encouraged to you know finish everything in the game, get all the classes up. So, but I still think people, so many people have done that and finished it. Like I totally get it. As someone who's been highly critical of Destiny and even Destiny Two, I just want to say that that taken as a total experience, I have really been impressed with what Bungie has done for the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, they have made me want to not only play and beat the raid, but keep playing. Yeah. I feel like when they announce that next thing, I'm going to be Halloween. excited about it. I'm gonna Halloween. Wanna, I'm going to want to play it. And just so personally speaking, in a year that is so crowded with things, I am shocked that I'm saying Destiny 2 is probably one of my favorite yeah. personal experiences that I've had this Because year. there's nothing like it. Like, when right. we beat that raid, we screamed. We screamed. It <laughs> feels and so good. Wait, I mean, I, again, I don't want to ruin it, but how that fight ends and then yeah. where they lead you to and then the things that happen, it's just a little it's treat. It's so little, cool. Little treats are sprinkling all around. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to move on. I want to shake it up once again. Showing it to you, up. Daniel Blower, because you've been playing. You've been playing probably the quirkiest game on this list. <laughs> uh, Super Mario Land 2. Yeah. On the Game Boy. Yeah. How did this happen? Uh, Wait, is this, this six, happened through... Six golden coins? Six golden coins? Yeah. <gasps> this happened through uh, Blood Pact this last month. Six um, golden coins? It's uh, one of our, our Patreon tiers. We're, it's sort of book clubbish uh, kind of thing where people... We, we kind of like group around a category, and then from that category, I put some selections in for a poll. And uh, Super Mario Land 2, like, took that poll pretty easily. And, uh, yeah, so that was fun. It's been a while since I, I popped out the Game Boy. Because uh, I, use, I used the Game Boy Player on the GameCube along with the Hori Game Game Boy Controller, which has, like, a big D-pad and feels yeah. real good. Um, People are... I watched a video, maybe it was Gaming Historian, where he was just praising that D-pad up and down. Yeah. I've never felt it. I'd like to, I'd like to feel it. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's definitely among the best, right? Because it's basically shaped like a Super Nintendo controller, mm-hmm. uh, but then like the bottoms are angled out a little bit to give you a bit more grip. Yeah. Um, and then the layout of the buttons is more like uh, like the GameCube face buttons, um, but for a Game Boy game, like A and B is all you really need, anyways. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, I I played through and uh, streamed almost the entirety of that game last week. Um, and I did not expect that. Like, I figured, like, just thinking about it structurally, it's like, oh, you know, I'll get through, like, three worlds or something like that. 
mm-hmm. and then like very quickly realize like oh I'm booking it through this game it is not uh, as long as I remembered uh, but it's it's interesting to me just because it's like it has its own like different personality to it mm-hmm. you know it's the first game uh, that Wario ever appeared in mm-hmm. and he appeared as yeah. the villain you know there's you, you, you go up to the castle and Wario is like, the shadow of Wario is like going back and forth. It's just, it's, yeah. The only, because I haven't played this game in 20 years. I'm not even right. kidding. 20 yeah. years, probably. I was a kid with my Game Boy when I played this. The only image that is burned into my brain is the big cauldron. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, the, the end of uh, yep. Pumpkin Zone. Yep, the big cauldron, and like you're bouncing on his head. Oh my gosh. And Wario is a bit, like he's a little bigger. He's yeah. got the big sprite. Is it sprites back then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> go ahead. I just wanted to say I, I love the way that they sort of cultivated Wario as this thing that Mario is dealing with and belongs to like this handheld version of Mario. It kind of made that line of Mario stuff and then Wario stuff, of course, uh, feel like special, mm-hmm. like this this kind of unique thing that you could get here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it just had a slightly different vibe to it than Mario on the consoles, which I thought was very, very cool. Yeah. Well, and there are some, you know, there's some other differences like since it's black and white, they did hearts instead of green mushrooms for one-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you uh, get the uh, to fly, rather than having a raccoon tail, you have, like, rabbit ears. Yep. Um, so you get a carrot, and you have rabbit ears that let you fly, or let, like you, like, hop continuously if you hold the button at the right timing. Um, and then, uh, but, uh, again, going back to, like, the the feel of the world, it, it lets you go to any of those zones in any order, which mm-hmm. I think was pretty different yeah. for a Mario game at that time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could do some branching path stuff in Mario Brothers 3 and Mario Brothers 4 or Mario World um, but Mario Land 2 is just like do you want to go to the space zone first or do you want to go to the aqua zone first it's like whatever as long as you get all of those coins like that you, you can do it however you want if you want to like find a secret exit and like skip half of the macro zone just go for it I thinking about Mario Land 1 as well and the step up yeah. Land two is from one because Mario I, Land one is almost like a game and watch game in yeah, terms of like how it, the sprites look and everything. Everything about it just seems a little. I I like Mario Land one. In fact, it was the first Mario game I ever owned. But it's it's almost kind of like a bootleg Mario where it's like okay, this is like a scaled down kind of crude, kind of janky with like weird, horrible sound effects when you're shooting <laughs> things. These subsections. It was like them trying to figure out Mario. Yeah. On on Game Boy, at least that's what it felt like to me. Uh, but Mario Land. Too, I mean, just these gorgeous big sprites looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, very consistent. And very catchy charming. music in a lot of places yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how did you feel about the? It's been so long since I played Mario Land Two. How did you feel about the difficulty level? So the difficulty level overall, um, like I said, I was breezing through most of the game. Mm-hmm. The uh, the funny things are there are like these. Uh, like I said, like the secret levels, like the you, you basically you, you find the alternate route out of a level, kind of like the ghost houses would be in Mario World, mm-hmm. um, and you would get to a secret level. If you get to those secret levels and you just die, too bad. You're like you're kicked out, 
And you've got to go back into that level from before, find that secret exit again, and get back to the secret level. Like, go through the whole process all over again. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demon's Souls. So that's, that's a little brutal. <laughs> the other thing, Wario's Castle is just insane. It's just muscle memorization to a T. I played through the majority of that game in two and a half hours. Then I put another hour... <laughs> Just into Wario's castle. Leviathan raid. And then failed it. <laughs> and I forgot about the fail state because when you game over, you lose all your lives, the coins go back to the bosses. And then you'd have to go oh. back through all the boss levels all over again Whoa. just to be able to challenge Wario again. So that was where the stream ended because Ian was here. He had to set up this whole new studio space. That's brutal. So to me, it sounds like that is a problem where you have very smooth sailing and then just this this super high barrier where the punishment for failure is really severe. It's super intense. Yeah. Did that? What, did you like the way that was presented? Was it overly frustrating? How did you How did you feel about it? I mean, it is frustrating. But it's also like it's satisfying when you like hit each of those benchmarks because mm-hmm. you know. There's different floors to the castle, and so like as soon like once you get through one of those floors, it's like oh great, I've got it, figured it out. Uh, there is, and I, I mentioned it multiple times during the stream. There is one very particular spot in that level that is just super hard to nail, and they basically what it is is there are these these moving like propeller platforms, mm-hmm. and this propeller platform moves under the platform you're standing on. And so you, and then there, and then there's, so basically you've got to walk off of the platform as soon as that propeller starts moving out, and then you've got to instantly duck. And if you miss it, then you just fall into lava and you start the whole thing over again. (laughs) So it's just like very super precise. And so I would have, I had the rest of that level down to where I wasn't taking any hits, was fine, got all the jumps. But that one platform, like, it would just keep coming back to haunt me. And then Wario himself, like, his attack patterns are really hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, like, he'd, he'd jump up and he'd hit the ground and the ground would shake so that you would be stunned. So you'd get stun locked and you'd get hit by him. Or, like, when he'd hit the ground, he'd drop a chandelier on at the same time so you'd have to be like real there's not a lot of space on a game boy screen yeah so you'd have to be in like a very particular place and then you'd have to like hop at just the right time to actually be able to hit him without getting hit by him because his sprite is gigantic you know and then and then it goes on to this like wave two he's got the the bunny ears and then the last wave the one that like i got two out of the three hits like he starts like shooting fireballs out as well and mm-hmm. it's just like oh and and again, like there's no checkpoints. You you lose against Wario, you go through the whole castle Ooh. all over again. Ooh. And you go back to that stupid propeller thing all over, <laughs> you know. Did you enjoy Mario Land 2 more than you were expecting? Um I don't know that I'd say I'd enjoy it more than I was expecting. I've always liked that game. Mm-hmm. And like even though that castle is super hard, I've always like enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's got good music. Okay. It's, yeah. Got a lot a lot of things to, to figure out. I, uh, the last two frame traps have really demonstrated this to me, reminded me that, like, you can, and you told me this, Blood, I, I wasn't aware that you could get Super Mario Land 1 and 2 on 3DS Virtual Console. I should have known that, but you can. So if you want, it's three ninety nine. You can play uh, Six Golden Coins on your 3DS right now, which I remember really liking as a kid. Wait, say that again? You can get Legend of the Six Golden Coins on your 3DS right now for three ninety nine. <laughs> 
Korea's virtual <laughs> console. Look at, I just made this guy's day. Four dollars? I can go home and play We're, it for four you can bucks. Play it for four dollars. I'm gonna play like and the first level. I, I gotta be I remember, honest though. I like, I remember just huddling up under the light, the lamp with my brother playing this like twenty years ago. I'll still take. Oh. I'll still take that game, that Game Boy controller. Oh yeah, yeah. Over the 3DS or over the original Game Boy D-pad because sure. the original Game Boy D-pad was not brilliant either. I just don't have that controller. Yeah, that's the only problem. Uh, but Kyle last week brought Tales Adventure, which I thought was a really good thing to bring. Tales Trap, and that's a Game Gear game that you can play on your 3DS. Mm. And just going through the pages of 3DS Virtual Console stuff, there is. Like, a ton of classic favorites on there that you'd immediately recognize, but a lot of, like, oh, I'm going to give this a chance, or, yeah. oh, I remember that kind of stuff. Like, a lot of a really cool, slightly bizarre selection of games on there for, for pretty reasonable nice. dollar amounts. One I thing say. I got, because when it came out, I had no idea it would be something I'd ever like, was uh, the Game Boy version of Picross. Pickles. Yeah, and that just has become like a go-to airplane game. <laughs> I didn't get into Picross until Picross 3D, but man, that's really good. Yeah. Um, I the reason I got into it, the Giant Bomb guys kept bringing it up and ranting and raving about it, and it's really fun. But the Game Boy Picross, good. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much a matter of you know elimination. Just, yeah. Just like do the math and you figure out where it is. But it's a mm-hmm. yeah. Simple. Good good thing to have. Simple again yeah, in effective. that kind of situation. Uh, you were talking a lot about. Pattern Recognition Blood, and I've got uh, an entire game about Pattern Recognition that I've been playing that I've been super excited about uh, since I played it at an Xbox Live event like Hmm. two years ago, Uh, and that's Cuphead, Mm. and I've been playing Cuphead. I'm not incredibly far. I think I've done like three or four four bosses, maybe four, and then one running gun stage Mm. in Cuphead, and this game is delightful. It's delightful. Uh, this is out too. And it's right. difficult, but it's not... I think the way people have been talking about the Cuphead difficulty, and I've, I'm not going to get on here and say it's not hard. No, it absolutely is hard. But it is... The challenge is constructed in such a way where you really feel like you're learning every single time you die. Where And, and a boss might attack with something, and it might catch you off guard the first time because these animations on some of these boss fights... And I want to be careful here because I think a huge part of Cuphead's appeal is seeing these crazy bosses do the stuff that they're going to do. Early on, you're fighting all of these different giant vegetables and they have these, like, different superpowers. Uh, And you have this, like, transforming lady who turns into a moon and shoots UFOs at you. Uh, It'll catch you off guard at first, but you're like, oh, okay, I can see the clear tell here. There hasn't been any sort of attack or anything where I haven't at least had something to try. Yeah. Uh, There was, like, a slot machine boss where I'm like, oh, I wonder if I should try this, and then that didn't work. But in that failure, I was like, maybe I should try this, and then that worked. And Mm. so it's just... It, it is constantly hooking you by being like, hey, you've got the tools to deal with this, and we're going to visually present it in a way where you can figure this out, and that's been really good. I also think the three hit point thing is extremely smart. Mm. Uh, so you can take three hits before you go out, and a lot of these boss fights I'm finishing with just one HP left. Yeah. And it's just enough room for error, so you're not like, man, I I keep losing so quickly so often. Yeah. Like, you can at least get a little ways into the fight because Mm -hmm. of this three uh, hit point thing. But uh, it also raises the level of tension. I mean, when you see it blinking, you've got one HP left, and then you just barely, like, and it says knockout, and you're like, you made it through by the skin of your teeth. Uh, it's, It's a great way of 
introducing tension. Uh, something that I haven't said, I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this show are probably, if you're listening to a three-hour podcast about video games, you probably know what Cuphead is. But if you don't, <laughs> if you don't, it is this platforming, boss rush, run and gun. Uh, it, it really reminds me of Contra. In yeah, Contra is a good, yeah. good example. Uh, but it is done in this 1930s style where you'll have like these these like characters with big rubberly <laughs> legs and you've got like old school Disney animation going on um, and you've got like cracking film and all that stuff and uh, the, you've got like this big band soundtrack like kind of these jazzy really mm. funky tunes uh, when you talk to the shopkeeper he's like welcome but it's like crackling like like the audio quality is really bad and it doesn't quite match up to his lips nice. Jones just, is out he's out no but it's great I mean, it's, it's appropriate to the time period and you so you have uh like all of these uh very minor touches that add so much to the game and playing cuphead you begin to realize how many things we haven't done a great job of experimenting with in video games. When you think about video game styles, you think about... When somebody says, hey, we're making a fantasy game, like you probably know what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You, you're you like, hey, there's probably going to be dwarves and elves in there. Hey, there's probably going to be warriors and mages. Like, yes, those games might be really interesting, but they're going to share so many common elements that we've seen a bazillion times. When you say, hey, we're going to have a game with guns in it, they're probably not super creative guns. It's like grenade launchers... And machine guns and shotguns. Not that we don't love those things, but uh, not enough cerebral bores in video. Games. <laughs> exactly, there's not. There's not, not enough, enough cerebral right. bores in video games. Bring them back. And also, <laughs> like there's there's like we could just do so many different crazy styles, and I think Cuphead uh, does a lot of that. And not only says, hey, let's take that crazy style and make a very familiar game. Let's take that crazy style and make platforming, running and gunning, wild and fun and fresh by using all the eccentric stuff that this style has to offer. My question to you is, was the delay worth it? You know, originally this game was just supposed to be a boss rush. Yeah. Now it has levels. Yeah. uh, Are these levels great are, are you happy with them can you yeah you know see the benefits of them mm-hmm. adding basically half of the game into the game i think the thing that i should say uh that i've seen echoed but i haven't finished the game so mm. keep that in mind is that it is still mostly a boss rush okay uh the levels that i'm doing like i've done like four bosses and one running gun level mm. or like three bosses and one running gun level something like that so, so some levels you go to are just a boss yeah, most of them. Oh, okay. Mo- it seems like most but of them. Once are just in a while, bosses. you'll click it and it'll be like, get through this yep. stage. Yep. Oh, perfect. Yes. Cool. So, uh, was the delay worth it? Yes, because to that me. It breaks it up. It breaks it up a little bit, but I don't even know if I would have been that upset if it was just a boss rush. Mm-hmm. Because all of the bosses that I've fought so far are really wildly different from each other. Mm. Uh, like, it is. I don't feel like, oh, man, I'm just beating my head against a wall, and then I have to go do something else. It's like, no, now I'm in a plane, and this person's completely crazy. Oh, now I'm fighting, like, a boss that has three different forms, or, oh, I'm fighting a boss that can, you know, change shapes or whatever. Um, so I would have been okay if it was just a boss rush, but I like the way the running gun levels are presented, just the one that I've done so far, uh, because the running gun levels are where you get coins, 
Mm. And it's hard getting those coins, as you would imagine. They put them in tricky spots where you've got to be careful. But then those coins will get you new weapons, or they'll get you new supers, or mm. things like that. And those can make a boss fight that is just driving you insane much, much, much easier. So I got some coins early on. I, I think you can also, like, I got three coins just by talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. So you can oh. also... Okay. Talk to people in the overworld as you're cool. selecting a level and maybe get more. It's only that person that is giving me coins, mm-hmm. but my guess is that more people will give me coins. Uh, I got, like, this spreader shot nice. that has way less range, but when things are falling from the sky, you can just point up and it yeah. will kind of get those things rather than having to, like, run over and, cool. and try to shoot them. That's cool. Uh, and, and that kind of thing. But, oh, yeah, it's... Dude, I'm going to Cuphead when I get home. Cuphead... <laughs> Cuphead is really, really great. So far. Hype. Uh, Hype. I'm a little bit worried that, like, the end will be so challenging that it's not fun anymore. But mm-hmm. right now, uh, it is very much like Super Meat Boy, where I die and there's not even a moment of anger or frustration. So like, no, get me back in there. Get yeah. me back in there. I can do this. Um, another thing they do that I think is really smart, uh, not only during the boss fights, but during the running gun stages, is there will be different flags to let you know where you are. And so, like, during a boss fight, if you get to this flag, like, when you die, it'll say, you got this far. This is when this phase change happens. And so, when you die and you have that heartbreaking loss and you see that you got 75% of the way through the fight, that's good incentive to get back in there because you're like, oh, man, I was almost there. Almost there. And so, it's a very good psychological trick. Um, But something kind of clever that Cuphead does during the boss fights is you might fight a boss and it will do an ending thing much earlier on so it'll mix it around so you're not like yes there is pattern recognition but it's switching up the phases to kind of keep you on your toes Mm. Uh, which sometimes makes it easier and sometimes makes it much harder but Mm -hmm. i think is a a good thing to to keep those repeated tries Mm. fresh nice yeah uh but i don't know i i keep trying to talk to the demons, I keep trying to get them to be a little bit more reasonable. And they're like, hey, man, we're going to do a harder word. We're going to do a harder phrase so that next time you do Frame Trap, you won't have to interrupt this show with this part. Uh, but Huber, like, I really didn't think this was going to come up. I was looking through the games that we were going to talk about. I had no idea that this, like, why? Why would it happen? Do you know what that what you said that got us caught in a Frame Trap? Shotgun. No, no, something much more complicated than a shotgun. Cerebral bore. Cerebral bore. Oh, God. Why would that come up? Why would that come up? I don't know. Blood is over here. <laughs> Almost never gets us caught in the frame traps. You yeah. get us caught in every time. Every time. How does that make well, you feel? Yeah, well, yeah. I think Blood got us last I've, time. Because you get it. Yeah. I'm not giving Blood enough credit. No. I'm not giving enough credit. He's gotten us in the frame trap the, before. The cerebral bore, though, is, you know, mm. I should have known. You should have known. That is a, anything sure. that. Like, shooting a cerebral boar seems like it would cause a frame trap. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you guys to be a little bit more conscious of the things that you're saying. Some of the death noises with the cerebral boar, too. Be like, (laughs) and your characters would be like, You know the problem? Because you'd be like the big lizard guys. You'd be like, You know what the problem with that? It it sounds like a dentist drill. Yeah. (laughs) Freaks me out. It's kind of, well, it works both ways. It makes... Like both, like the dentist drill that makes is cerebral freaky, be out a bore bit. worse. Yeah. And cerebral bore makes the dentist drill worse. Yeah, they and do. Just, Next time yeah. I'm at the dentist, we're gonna be like, he's using the cerebral bore on <laughs> Um, I've got a little game for you today. Uh, but before we get started on that game, uh, the sponsors have also been negotiating with the demons. Mm. Uh, in fact, our sponsors collectively picked 
cerebral bore. That's actually not true. They didn't do that. <laughs> I'm just building the lore. Uh, our, but our sponsors do help us out. They're very important to Frame Trap, and they're very important to Caught in a Frame Trap. And we've got our two very reliable sponsors today. Our first one is Argos of War. It's a game, an upcoming game. It's a first-person World War II experience that redefines the survival genre. Launching with an unrelenting 16-kilometer environment and featuring an innovative multinational warfare system, foraging, mm. hunting, salvaging, bunker building, NPC and resource management, and a deeply customizable job system, your strategic and survival prowess will empower you and your brothers-in-arms to battle toward multiple paths to victory. Argos of War is more than just another survival game. It's a love letter to World War II and survival fans alike. Follow the development of the project at Argos of War on Twitter for daily updates. And our second sponsor is just Greg, the Dark Knight Catering. Mm. A cool dude who keeps on being cool. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> no Thank you, Argos of War, for your support. We greatly appreciate it. And now, on to the thing that you're supporting. Uh... So the super the SNES classic has been very popular. It has also been popular with the demons of the frame trap realm. I bet. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with this, this is just a little trivia game that we play to break up the show. And in honor of the SNES classic, all of these questions have to do with the Super Nintendo. I'm so dead. And they take slightly <laughs> different forms. I did not know that you would be so dead. What was so. gonna wreck me? Okay. Well, the first question. And to clarify the rules for everybody, please wait until all three options Kay. are red. Okay. Kay. And then when you want to answer, you must be the first to whisper Hotake into your mic. Okay. Hotake. Thank you, Blowworth. Always very good at the instructions part. Uh, n- question number one. How many versions of the Super Nintendo were released in North America, not counting the SNES Classic? A. One. B. Two or C three. This is also not including like different bundles and that sort of thing. Just like different versions of the console itself. Oh, okay. Uber one A incorrect. Do I do hot yes. now? Okay. Do hot Yes. Uh, two. Two is correct. What was the second one? I actually have the second one. What was it? I had to it was like it. A, it was like smaller and rounder. Yeah. Uh, and the instead of the, oh the round remember, edges, like the buttons were on the side. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't have that big eject button in the middle. Right. Mm. Which mm-hmm. one of these is not a Super Nintendo peripheral that released in North America? Ooh. A the batter up baseball bat. <laughs> B the life fitness entertainment system, or C. The Annihilator Arcade Stick. Hotake. Huber. A. Incorrect. <sighs> Whoa, really? I know it now. This is a tricky one. Which one of these is not a Super Nintendo Hotake. Hotake. Uh, I'm gonna go with C. The C Annihilator. is correct. Yeah. The Annihilator. Because I know stick the I know was B not, was 100. percent Yep. I was like reading about that recently. Actually, yep. B was 100. percent Yeah. Uh, the The Annihilator fight stick was just a thing that I made up. Dang it. Oh gosh. Yeah. It reminds me of the game. It reminds me of the <laughs> the Sega Genesis giant Annihilator gun. Remember that? Yeah. What was it? I, think it was it was, I don't want to say mercenary, but that doesn't make sense. 
forget what that was or called. The menacer was it called the menacer. menacer. I think it was the menacer. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I you had the right the... letters in the word. Just to mix yeah. Them. <laughs> early con- question number three. Early concept designs referred to the Super Nintendo as a the Nintendo Entertainment System two, b the Mega NES, or c the Rico. Huber. C. Incorrect. Oh, I liked the way it sounded. Uh, Hotake. Bloodworth. A. Correct! Bloodworth is three for three! <laughs> I was gonna say A until you said Rico. Rico. Yeah. So the Rico was the chip inside of uh, the Super Nintendo, yeah. Nice. The, the, the processing unit. Uh, question number four. What was the last game... Oh, I had so much fun making this. Wow. What was the last game to be officially published wow. in North America for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System? Okay. Was it A, Bomberman World, <laughs> B, Frogger, or C, Backyard Soccer? Oh, okay. Huber. C, Backyard Soccer. Incorrect. Dang it. <laughs> Bloodworth. You're trying, though. I'm I appreciate trying. It. You're giving it a real effort. Uh, oh, okay. Bloodworth. I'm going to go with A. Incorrect. Oh, You're both wrong. Frogger? It Frogger. was Frogger. So Whoa. you remember the PS1 Frogger? Yeah. There was a Super Nintendo version. <laughs> what? That's so weird. It was the last game to be officially published for the Super Nintendo. All right. Question number five. I do feel like on this one, Bloodworth might have an advantage, so I apologize here. Oh. <laughs> Bloodworth. Uh, OP. Just because he Bloodworth and I have talked about this before, I should have taken that into account. It's okay. I need to score six points with like but one question you left. You can get in there with speed. <laughs> Which one of these was not a launch title for the Super Nintendo in North America? It's our last question. Is it A. Act Razor, B. F Zero, or C. Sim City? Huber. A. It's correct! Actraiser. He's on the board! Yeah. <laughs> Stopped the clean yep. sweep. So, Blood, or, uh, Actraiser came out the year of the Super Nintendo's release, but not... It, the Super Nintendo North America, I believe, launched in August. Actraiser came out in November. Mm. So, pretty close, but no cigar. Uh, all right. Unfortunately, though, that is going to be three points to Bloodworth. One point to Huber. Got on the board. it was five to one. No, so you both missed question oh, number four. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Both missed question number four. Cool, cool, cool. Actraiser is one I was a little surprised didn't make it. Yeah. Because um, it was one of those games that I feel like, like you, I, I, and again, f- for having it as that last question, it was sort of in the marketing reels and so like you just always saw Actraiser, right. um, that uh, centaur in like the first level it was just it was there it was in screenshots all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like Super Nintendo was here kind of a moment. Um, and uh, probably yeah, there's just too many Square Enix games to throw in there. Blood with you are on a trend uh, because you've broken us through the frame trap twice now, and both times have been excellent, highly remembered. Mm. The Tiger Knee is still talked about in the realm, in the realm, uh, and you have the the honor of getting us out of the frame trap once again. Do you have anything in mind? Uh. I think I'm just going to have to go with a simple headbutt. A simple headbutt? <laughs> well, please, when you're ready, we will see if the simple headbutt is enough to break us out. Whoops. I should have taken my glasses off. 
That was accepted for two reasons. <laughs> was not expecting the noise, which is very good. And the accidental glasses coming off the head makes that a clear winner. Oh my gosh. Are your glasses in a clear winner? Yeah, are they okay? That's an important question on this. <laughs> so you're talking about kind of frame trap, but uh, nope, that was great. Thank you, Bloodworth. Thank you all for playing along with me, both panel and audience. That was a fun one to do. Yes. But we're moving on. Going back to Huber, throwing it back to Huber and Bloodworth. You've played I'm this as well. I'm going to get a drink, too. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Life is Strange Before the Storm. Oh. Yes. Life is Strange. All I want to do... All I want to do is... Is play Life is Strange Before the Storm Episode 2. I'm going to call BS sure. on that. All you want to do is Just play, play like, Red Dead Redemption 2. But you got to pick one. In terms of games that are out right now, like... I really want episode two. I want to get back into this world. Okay. Life is Strange Before the Storm is really, really good, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels good to be back with Chloe. It just feels great to be a fly on the wall in her life. Yeah. Um, this game is like it, this game is sad though. There is a Oh yeah. There is a loneliness to this game there is a feeling of isolation um you, you know that, and, and, that... It, and it's it's in it's in contrast to you know it's a colorful game there's a lot of colors there's a you know the arcadia bay is cozy and bright but still underneath it all there's just this like isolating feeling that uh you know i haven't really been able to shake since i got through episode one i keep thinking about it so uh, as someone who has not yet finished, unfortunately, Life is Strange on episode three, but what I've played of it, the qualities that you're describing can be applied to mm-hmm. Life is Strange. Absolutely. It's a sad game. Uh, it is about young people dealing with very intense emotions, which mm-hmm. sounds similar to what you're describing in Before the Storm. So yeah. what what separates this, what makes this a different experience than than what we got in Life is Strange already? First and foremost, Chloe, uh, you play as Max in Life is Strange, uh-huh. and I like to, you know, when I RP, you know, you're you're giving me information on the type of person Max is at the time, you know, she's nice, I'm gonna play it nice, you know, but Chloe has more of an edge, you know, she's pretty intense, she doesn't care about school, so... You can play it that way, too. You know, the intro of the game you're trying to get in. You know, Blood talked about this last time. is like you're trying to get into the concert. And, you know, again, Chloe has an edge, so I'm going to play it that way. I'm going to steal a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to steal a beer and drink a beer. I'm right. going to get loaded. I'm going to buy drugs. Like, Whereas, like, Max is this really good-hearted, yes. like, pretty normal... You know, yeah. you totally believe would look out for others before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But like Chloe's headspace, the headspace she is in is going to lead me to do things. Gotcha. Accordingly. Um, so, you know, life is strange. I would say the things that it has going for it is uh, how easily it gets you attached to its characters, mm-hmm. how real the situations uh, it's presenting feel despite the supernatural circumstances. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like before the storm uh, is exploring interesting territory that feels new, uh, and and is it doing that stuff justice? Yeah, the biggest thing obviously is Rachel Amber. She was only mentioned in Life is Strange. She's a mm-hmm. huge part of that game despite not being in it. She's very important to the story. Uh, so it's 
really nice being able to get to know her and, you know, hang out with her as Chloe and see what that whole story is all about. And sometimes prequels can be boring because you're like, I know exactly what's going to happen. But in this case, it's super interesting to get to know her. And it's also really scary and haunting knowing what eventually will happen mm-hmm. by playing through, like I've already playing through Life is Strange. So I'm not feeling any redundancies or, you know, apprehension of like, oh, it's a prequel. I already know how it's going to end. You know, spoilers. Like, no, it still feels surprising and, and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, for both of you, playing this episodically, having gone through episode one and I'm waiting for episode two, is there any part of you that wished you had waited until the full thing was out? No. I love, you know, Life is Strange was one of those games that really got me all in on board going through games, episodic games, as they come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's similar to TV. You know, there's a lot of shows that people binge watch. People love binge watching. I'll binge watch occasionally, you know, Gundam 8th MS team, binge through it. Yeah. But I prefer the week-to-week or in terms of episodic games when they come out because now I have been thinking about episode yeah. one for the last Time week. To process. Exactly. I've been processing it. I've been yearning to just get back to Arcadia Bay. Like, there's just... Blutter, you pointed this out also of... There's a lot of moments where you can just stop and take it in. Yeah. Like, just Kyle Bossman taking a knee, you know, it just <laughs> feels good good to be in this world and it's just a game that makes me emotional and a game that i really like to think about and i just cannot wait to get back to oh you feel the same way blood you enjoy taking it as it comes yeah i I think uh i mean yeah if if anything like if if you're gonna wait till the end i would still give yourself a good day between Mm -hmm. episodes just because they're meaty yeah, there's a, there's a lot that there's, happens. There's, there's a lot only to be think f- about. There's three episodes plus yeah. a bonus episode if you got the deluxe edition, like a bonus mini one. Mm. Huh. So, so it's just it's just one of those things where like you just get so much like so many intense moments and things. Yeah. It's just like you you want to you want to stop for a second and, and yeah and and process it and, and and think about what's happened and think about you know if. Uh, the way you're making decisions is the way you really you want your story to go and, and things like that. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think having that, just that time, that breathing space um, to go I, through. This game affects me in real life. You know, I always talk about that with Life is Strange. Like, there was a moment, uh, I don't smoke cigarettes, but there was a moment where Chloe goes in an alleyway to just smoke a cigarette. Like, if you want to, you can do it. She's just smoking a cigarette inner monologue thinking about life mm-hmm. you know and she's just smoking and you decide when to stop and she's just smoking it and i'm sitting there and i'm just watching it listening to her and i just you know she's done talking but i just think in my head like i just pause life for a minute or two mm-hmm. and i'm with her in this moment of take a breath you yeah. know slow life down slow everything down Enjoy your moments, you know. This game, just episode one so far, like, has made me want to take a breath and enjoy moments in life more. Huber, one of the things I want to get your take on is uh, it's it's a gameplay mechanic kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. 
uh, the graffiti. Yeah. What do you think about graffiti? Um, so is this graffiti, or are you applying it at specific points? Can you do it at any it's, time? Yeah, it's, 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 it's like an unlockable. Like, you find the thing to graffiti mm-hmm. in an area, and you scribble whatever, and, and then it, it gets sort of put like into the pictures? Your, it's exactly yeah. like the okay. pictures, except like the you can dis- except you can choose... You get the choice of two things to graffiti. You can do one one of two things yeah. each time you find mm-hmm. them. Uh, I like it. It's very Chloe. Uh, it really sold me when I found David's toolbox. I was like, this is so Chloe. Just marking this up. Like, yeah, it gets me in the world more. It, it seems natural for her to do it. Um, but I also really liked the pictures. You know, that was cool. a cool mechanic for Max, the photographer. You know, catching the birds... It's a little more poetic mm-hmm. versus Chloe just like, you know, getting some vulgar <laughs> graffiti. <laughs> Did you feel similarly about it, Blood? Uh, I just, yeah, I, I I wasn't into that. So there are certain points, you know, like there are points where I could, I could see like, yeah, like getting back at somebody. But there are mm-hmm. the points where you're just, just going to deface this random thing for no good reason. You know, it just, <laughs> sure. <laughs> like it didn't res- resonate with me very much. Right. Yeah. Like there wasn't. Compelling reason for the character or for the situation for that to happen. Yeah, it just it just kind of felt like okay, mm-hmm. here's a you know here's a checklist to get my achievements because they are each one is tied to achievements. Yeah, I can imagine that in October 2017, an an episodic game sort of feels like an unintentional gift, mm-hmm. where you can look forward to a bite sized chunk that yep. will leave you wanting more, mm-hmm. and a lot to process instead of a big brick. Yeah, that you have to get through. Yeah. Sure. It's really good. I cool. love it. So it is. It is a worthy next step for Life is Strange. Something that I know meant so much yeah. to you personally. So far, yeah. And again, it's only three episodes. So you know, okay. one down, two to go. Do we know when the next one's happening? No date yet. I keep looking every day. Nothing. Okay. Nothing so far. Hopefully soon. Um, but yeah, you know, there's always a little apprehension with prequels. They can be lazy or weird or or just feel unnecessary. Feel unnecessary. Right. Yeah. And the stories that it is telling are definitely a great addition to the Life is Strange lore. I've got uh, two more games to talk about, uh, but the first one that I'm going to discuss is one that just, to me, keeps, keeps getting better and better, uh, and it's surprising me in a lot of ways, is uh, Monster Hunter Stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Monster Hunter Stories is a Monster Hunter spinoff where it's it's not like Monster Hunter. It's not this this real time combat. You're taking down these huge beasts. It is a turn based role playing game, where you're sort of uh, you're you're called a writer, and you are bringing these monsters. They call them monsties in monsties. They call them monsties. monsties. Yeah. Wait, okay. a writer, a writer like Alan Wake, or a writer, a writer like, a, like a horseback like rider? That. Yes. Okay. So you are a writer as opposed to a hunter okay. of monsters, and uh, it's all about these different monsters and the different things that they bring to you, both in and out of battle. And I really love my absolute favorite thing about the game is how they're sort of taking these large, unwieldy beasts, how they're representing their differences in a turn-based RPG. And so the way that it works is you'll go and you'll you'll get a monster, and I'll talk about that acquiring process a little bit later, but uh, when you bring them into battle, 
it is a rock, paper, scissor, scissors sort of uh, combat style where you'll be fighting against beasts mm. and they'll have certain tendencies. So uh, power beats technical attacks, technical attacks beat speed, and speed beats power attacks. Speed beats power, unacceptable. Speed beats power. So you'll be, you'll be running into a monster that wants to do a lot of big powerful attacks and then you need to figure out, okay, this is this monster's tendency, or this is its pattern. It will do a power attack, then it will do something else. Maybe it'll do like a non, you know, trio attack, like some sort of special attack you need to hit, and then it will go and it will do a speed. So you need to figure out this pattern, and then you need to pick moves that counter it. And all of your monsters, uh, at first, you don't have direct control, uh, basically. So they might want to do a power attack because they just like doing power attacks. Um, Relatable. You, you can. Tell them to do specific attacks, uh, different special moves, like maybe a fireball or something. But if you do that, it takes away from your kinship meter. And you build up your kinship meter by you doing attacks, because you can do power attacks, speed attack, technical attacks yeah. as well with your own weapons, by picking attacks that counter your opponent's moves uh, and having your monster pick moves that counter your opponent's moves. If you both pick the right counter, if both the rider and the monster pick the right counter, you'll do a dual attack mm. where you both like come around and do a pincer attack on the monster. It looks really cool. The animations overall are absolutely fantastic. Uh, for continually doing the right thing, you'll build up this kinship meter. If you get it up all the way, you can hop on your monster, yes. uh, kind of combining your health bars, and you will get a super attack, basically, where you and the monster are going in and attacking together. Wow. And uh, you can do it right away. You can do a level one kinship attack, basically. Or, again, if you keep guessing, you can build up that meter mm -hmm. a little bit more and make that super attack even stronger and so why i like this combat system so much is there's a little there's a lot of sort of guessing where you have to kind of go am i going to go all in with my monster is it doing the wrong thing am i bringing in the right monster because sometimes it's unpredictable sometimes you'll have a dude that normally does power attacks for whatever reason is doing a technical attack yeah and so do you want to correct that by telling them to do something else but if you do that you're taking some super meter away. And so it's making these monsters feel a little bit unpredictable, mm -hmm. which I feel like is very important for these creatures that are supposed to have um, some sort of, of a degree of wildness to them. But it's giving you enough control that I feel like I can easily get through fights um, and I'm still applying some sort of strategy to it, which I think is really cool. And just like I was saying, those, those kinship attacks are so, so good. Uh, one of my favorite ones, the, the Aptanoth, this herbivore monster, uh, what it does is it like runs at the enemy, it slips on a banana peel, and it's like butt slams down on the monster. Um, and it's just completely adorable. And it's something that I think uh, is really great for Monster Hunter stories as a whole, if you are not familiar with Monster Hunter, uh, even though, like, gameplay-wise, this won't give you a good representation of Monster Hunter, it might very much endear you to the world. Uh, everything is adorable. I mean, when you're doing cutscenes, you've got this, like, big burly man named Dan who's laughing, who's very boisterous, who I think you would love. Um, you have this cat following you around with big eyes and a big smile. Nice. And even your own created character uh, is very uh, animated as well and, and very endearing. Um, two things that I don't like about the game, really quickly, are... I think it's a little bit too easy, and I think part of the reason it's too easy is when 
you or a monster gets knocked out, you have three hearts. One of those hearts will get taken away, but then you'll just be back up to full health. Mm. And because you have health that you can restore with potions and herbs and things like that, uh, it's pretty easy to not lose a heart. Mm -hmm. But if you do, you've got like three full extra life bars for both you. Uh, The heart system, I believe, is shared between the writer and the monster. I believe that's correct. Um, But it's just, it's very hard to get a game over, basically. Um, But despite that, the battles are still fun. The story, however, the actual narrative beyond the the charm and cuteness of it all is pretty thin. Uh, There is... (laughs) This like malevolent, uh, this bl- like blight basically. Essentially, it's just this malevolent blight is kind of taking things and corrupting them. Mm. And uh, you, as a young writer, want to go out and see as much of the world as possible. It just feels like it's dealing with very basic things. Uh, maybe that will get a little bit more complicated as I go through the game. I've put uh, like I think like seven, seven to ten hours, something like that, in so far. Mm. Um, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And it's good. Um, as both of you, I don't think either of you are super into Monster Hunter or haven't given Monster Hunter a chance, is this is more of a turn-based, buddy-up-with-your-monster, go-through-a-story-more-appealing-to-you? Saving myself for weekly hunts. <laughs> all right, that's going to be our frame trap. Thank you all for watching. Saving all of my Monster Hunter hype and energy so when you can for get there, January twenty fifth at mm-hmm. nine p.m. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Bloodworth? Um, yeah, I think I probably still would. Yeah, would see something like Monster Hunter World more appealing, or yeah, mm. or I mean, even the traditional Monster Hunter. You know, I would probably have gotten more into if they just beefed up a little bit more story, or sure. or like connected the world, so you don't have those weird loading screens in between and stuff. A little right. bit better. Um, that is something that I like about Monster Hunter World and something I said I would touch on but I haven't so far is that these area, the, the environments that you explore are very big uh, and these monster dens are popping up all over the place and how you get new monsters is you have to go into these dens that's cool yes and is that you, for all the monster hunters or just this one for, for this one because you are not hunting the monsters yeah, you're not killing yeah. them you're trying to build up the stockpile cool. basically cool, cool, cool. and so you want to go and you want different types of monsters because they have different abilities both in and out of combat but some of the ones that they have out of combat are really useful because in order to upgrade gear you need certain materials and like one of the monsters you can scan for herbs and things like mm-hmm. that and so it just makes it so much easier and so it's like I want to make my life as easy as possible I'm going to go and I'm going to get these monsters. And when you go into these dens, you get to the end and you get to this egg nest. And at the egg nest, sometimes a monster might be there sleeping, guarding its eggs. Sometimes it may not be. But there's oftentimes materials that you want in this den. However, if you're picking them up, your little cat buddy will say, hey, that's cool, but don't get too greedy. Otherwise, it could cost us. Or when you go up and you pick up an egg... You might get one that you're like, oh, I know this egg is no good. I'm going to roll again and try my chances again. The more time that you spend around this egg nest, the higher chance that a monster could come in or wake up and attack Mm, you. mm. And, uh, you know, it might be a a slightly more difficult monster. And so it's just a little bit of risk there that uh, there have been times where, you know, I've gotten an egg and I've had to run out of the cave and, and things like that. And so that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then you go and you you have to hatch the egg and you tap to give it some extra stacks stats. You either tap or mash the button and that's that's pretty cool. Nice. Um, but I think the game does a good job of kind of connecting everything. Where it's like, okay, I need 
better gear to get through these boss fights and things like that and complete these side quests. And as I'm completing these side quests, I'll get materials that I need and I'll get new monsters that will... Much like Monster Hunter itself, there's a very good, very satisfying, large feedback loop that you're going through. Nice. And because materials are so valuable, I find myself exploring a big part of this world, not just running from mm-hmm. objective point to objective point. And because materials are so valuable, I feel incentivized to do side quests. Nice. All that sort of stuff. Um, but I have a question for our audience. If you are playing Monster Hunter Stories and you are... Uh, let me know your experience with Monster Hunter because I think I really like spinoffs like this, mm. you know... Uh, when an action game makes a strategy game or when a strategy game makes an action game or something, uh, just a different genre of game I think can resonate to uh, a bigger number of people or get a different audience into you know, the series. And so I'm curious, if you are playing Monster Hunter Stories, if you're liking it, first of all, and what your experience with the series is, uh, and if it's making you interested in playing more Monster Hunter. Yes. So always good to know. Always read in the comments. So nice. we can talk about that. Uh, but moving on, we're going to be talking about Dark Souls 3, right. which Bloodworth is playing for the first time. Yeah, nice. uh, yeah. I, I apologize that I'm not talking about either Forza 7 or Battle Chasers Night War, both of which I have downloaded and have not picked up a controller for. Um, I really wanted to be able to talk about one of those today, and I wasn't able to. But I did, uh, thanks to Brad Ellis, start Dark Souls 3 finally. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm having to, uh, stream through that whole game. And, in costume? Uh, well, I'll, uh, I'll have to see what Kyle Church means. I don't think I have to do every, the whole thing ah. in costume, but okay. I think I, I, now I've gotten away with, I can do the first and last streams. Can't summon people to help I cannot, with bosses. Yeah, I cannot summon other players, but I've never really done that anyways in okay. my prior Souls playthroughs. Nice. Doing it right. You uh, can summon uh, phantoms if you need yeah, to. Yeah, what I what I would typically do NPCs. Yeah, was what I would kill a boss like in Dark Souls 2 specifically I would kill a boss on my own and then like jump back into it with other people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got, got started on Dark Souls 3. Um, you know, got in there, got my button checks, and you know, trying mm-hmm. remember the mechanics, and like, you know, hit that square button. It's like, oops, they just right. went my first Estus, and <laughs> um, but Bloodworth, yeah, playing Bloodborne last, and you obviously finished Dark Souls one and two. Uh, does it feel like? Does it? Feel, do you, Do you still have that feeling of, you know? this is a Souls game, or, or are you yearning for the speed of Bloodborne? I know when people came into Dark Souls 3 after Bloodborne, it was like, whoa, yeah. this is and does it slower still feel than I remember. Yeah. Does, yeah. It, does it still feel uh, like... Does it feel like business as usual, yeah, or that's does it feel question. like a threat? Yeah. I mean, it always, to me, like, there's always, like, I just, every time I'm about to enter a room, I stop and, like, start looking, turning the camera, like, all right, there's there's somebody... Lurking. Yeah, lurking in the other. And then uh, one of the things with uh, the beginning of Dark Souls 3 is you have all these, like, guys kind of, like, worshipping the totems or whatever is going on there. And so I'm just like, I just got to kill these guys, right? Because if I don't, one of them is going to hop out and get me. So, I, like, just, you know, it's like, even though they don't seem to be uh, aggressive, I, I, I don't trust them. Uh, <laughs> trust them. Um, and... Uh, Trust no one. What I do think, though, is I feel like, I don't know if it's just a matter of the PS4 controller being a little tighter than the PS3 controller or what, but uh, I I feel 
like it's easier to do what I intend to do hmm. uh, with things like you know like doing the little kick or like running and jumping and um, like I just I feel like even though the controls are essentially the same, they feel more refined. Yeah, in that sense, definitely. Um, it's because you played so much Witcher Three. Oh, burn! <laughs> that burn is just so old at this point. It doesn't <laughs> need to go there. Um, but the last one you played before this was Bloodborne, correct? Yeah, I played through through most of Bloodborne. I unfortunately like got through like the very beginning of Kanehurst Castle, and then I don't know what happened. Like. Life just, happened. Just busyness happened, yeah. yeah. Did you use the Kirk hammer in Bloodborne at all? Uh, not very much. But you used it at least once? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've used it at least once. I don't, I always would like to try out a weapon. And that's one of the nice. funny things, because I'm doing the Pyromancy build, and they like start you off with like strength uh, and, and an axe. Uh, and then all the weapons I've been picking up are dex weapons with like big X's over them. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm not going to use that weapon right now. I'm not going <laughs> to use that weapon. <laughs> so I just powered up the... The decks to ten, so I can use like try out some of these other weapons. Nice. Yeah, there's a lot of weapons. Dark but, Souls three, oh my gosh. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's one thing I've always felt like Dark Souls had like a lot more weapons than yeah. than Bloodborne does. Um, and then uh, I just uh, got a kite shield that does the 100% defense thing. I guess for physical. Yeah, like when yeah. you hit the R2 button rather than parrying, it like put you in this other yeah. altered state um so i'm not entirely sure the best times to use that but uh, that's interesting i'm also trying to remember because now you have the blue mana bar yeah what did we have like we just had like uses so, on yes. pyromancy and stuff yes. right yeah yep. you had uses so every uh spell had a different number of uses that you could you could do and you had like yeah, so this is going back to the uh, Demon Souls mm -hmm. style where you have mm. mana, and now you have an Estus for that. Yeah, well, and that was the other thing that was interesting too is that like you can actually like determine how much Estus goes into each flask. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that'll be yeah that'll be a thing to experiment with. A lot of this stuff it's it's just crazy to think about like I'm gonna be doing all this live. <laughs> Yeah, like, sorry, you have chat helping you. They've got but you. Chat I mean, is all over the place. Yeah. I came in back sure. and forth That's at true. the end, and you seemed to be doing pretty well. Yeah, like it didn't it didn't seem to be too frantic, too yeah. too desperate, I guess. Um, but Huber was asking you do, you, do you miss anything from Bloodborne, like the, the speed or recovering health when you're attacking? It's been, it's been long enough since Bloodborne that I don't feel like I'm comparing the two. Really, sure. you know, yeah. it's you know, I I. I put a lot of time into dark souls and dark souls too so it's yeah like know, coming home getting back into that you know and um and using the shield and everything just yeah it feels natural how do you feel uh in terms of since you're still in the beginning uh how the world is set up uh slash the tutorial area slash the tutorial boss like how do you think uh the game kind of pulls you into its world in comparison to past souls games I think it does a better job of explaining uh, and giving opportunities to use uh, some of those mechanics that like aren't as uh, I mean not as obvious, you know, stuff like you know parrying and and backstabbing and stuff like that was all there at the beginning of the first Dark Souls as well. But I just I don't know, it just feels like okay, here's the the hint to how to do this, and then here's an enemy to try it out on. That's facing the other way. Yeah. You yeah. Just, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel like that. that's all 
worked out pretty well. And it's not like uh, Dark Souls 2 had that crazy crisscrossing cave system before really, you got to the main uh, Medulla. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I really didn't like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Medulla a lot, but... It was it was cool, but it was also it didn't necessarily feel like a tutorial area because it was actually kind of difficult to get through just that mm-hmm. with with all the alternate paths and uh, I I think they even there's like some like big enemy that you yeah, can run across yeah. and get like destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that you find there though is pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you feel about the boss? I always screw up his name. It's like Ildric. Idrik's Gundir. Oh yeah, yeah. The oh, that was the a, knight. What did you think about that fight? That was a f- crazy bloodborne type of surprise. I didn't expect yeah. him to just suddenly transform. Mm-hmm. So cool. Um, I actually think that first boss fight is is definitely harder than the the asylum demon in Dark Souls One. Really? I think. I think so. Yeah. I, I maybe think... maybe because I was pyromancy, I've got a little leg up. Oh, maybe. I, yeah, I didn't use pyromancy against him. I just used melee. But yeah. I thought he was challenging. A little bit more aggressive, I guess. Attacked yeah. a little bit more frequently. I don't know. Dark Souls three, holding no punches. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but so far, based on your experience with it, it I can understand your hesitation doing it all live. But do you feel just as excited to play through it as you did past Dark Souls games? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested. It's just a lot of, like a lot of the stuff in terms of playing live is not so much about like oh I'm gonna have to like I'm gonna have to fight this boss fifty times or whatever before I actually get it. It's more of okay, I want to like look into the stats and figure out like what kind of weapons and and stuff like that. And it just always feels sort of like that like that pressure of the dead air that I'm not actually mm-hmm. really doing anything. You're just mm-hmm. staring at me, looking through these obscure inventories and trying to figure out whether uh, this item does anything I care about. So, Cool. All right. Well, the last game on our list for today is one that I've been playing and I'm very excited to talk about. Like Bloodworth, I also have to issue an apology uh, because I wanted to spend more time talking about more detailed impressions on Divinity Original Sin 2, but I'm nowhere near as far as I want to be in Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, and that's, I've been getting distracted by other games. I really wanted to get through the raid, um, and I've been busy with other stuff, but that's totally on me. I, that game, Divinity Original Sin 2 seems absolutely phenomenal and I want to put more time into it. Um, and I want to get that review up so we can tell people why it's so amazing in a more, uh, structured and considered way than just gushing about it on a podcast. Mm -hmm. But I had to take some time to play some Danganronpa because (laughs) I really care about this series a lot. And I was... I was worried about three. I was worried about three for some reason. For I didn't like some aspects of the Danganronpa three anime that they did, where they kind of wrap up the Hook's Peak Academy storyline. Um, I, I guess I was worried. This is a series that's all about the killing game, and that is putting students in this school prison and then incentivizing them to kill each other. I think when you have that set up again and again... Uh, regardless of the twist that you do in it, that it can start to feel a little bit stale, start to feel a little bit predictable. The, the shock that you're going for, uh, we've seen before. Not true. I would say, so I've done uh, the first, the prologue and then the first chapter, which doesn't sound like a lot, but actually takes quite a while to get through. 
Um, so it, 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 I've put some hours into it. Uh, I've done the prologue in the first chapter, and even in that chunk, Danganronpa 3, in one specific instance, has like shocked me almost like the number one spot for this whole series. Whoa. It does something uh, in a way that I think is really cool, and I don't want to detail it too much, but what I want to praise about it is I feel like it takes the unique aspect of being a video game and playing your mind. The fact that you are controlling this game, the, how it does that twist makes it so much more uh, impactful. And I think that is really, really cool that I, like my jaw dropped and I was like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Having played Danganronpa 1, Danganronpa 2, doing... Uh, the uh, Ultra Despair Girls watching the anime that it's like, whoa, this came completely out of nowhere. That's really cool. That's very clever. And it didn't feel cheap. Mm-hmm. It felt like just that perfectly executed twist uh, that was done so well. And I think the other thing why Danganronpa V3 doesn't feel stale is because of the style. It is just so eccentric, so crazy. After we shot Easy Anime, I told Brad and Huber, I want to play this song for you. This like kind of <laughs> so song where it's going, duh, 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 duh. but then you have this guy going like, he is all that remains. Yeah, it's like, it it's was just really creepy bizarre. kind of like strange voiceover. So and you're like, strange. this is kind of freaking me out. Yeah. Um, and Brad said something that I think is totally true about Danganronpa is that it reminds him of Dreamcast era weirdness. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think Kodaka, the, the, the writer behind Danganronpa, recently talked about Illbleed, a game that I did not play on the Dreamcast, but is apparently regarded for just how batshit insane it is. And Danganronpa is just so batshit insane. You have these characters that are doing things. You've got like this person who calls himself the ultimate evil dictator and you don't know if everything he's saying is a lie or not Mm. but then his feelings also get hurt a little bit it's just it's just crazy and i think it's really easy to do crazy i think it's really easy to just throw a bunch of random shit in somebody's face Mm -hmm. but i love like and fully coolly i think is Mm -hmm. something that we've talked about that shares this quality where it is random and you don't know what to expect and there are a bunch of weird turns but there's something deeper there there is a storyline there are themes that it's talking about and this craziness this randomness just makes those themes more explosive or shines a light on them in a way that you wouldn't expect and therefore like makes you more want to dig into it because it's presenting it in a way that you never could have imagined it makes the very topic itself way more interesting than it has any right to be and i think that's something that fully cooly does i think that's something that weird crazy dreamcast games did in maybe a less substantive way in some instances uh but i think makes danganronpa very much worth playing i talk a lot about bayonetta and my love of it and i think um Part of what I love about Bayonetta is just how absolutely batshit insane its world is, but it is a world that feels like it has so much thought put into it. That is what Danganronpa is, and I love that now Danganronpa, you can play Danganronpa V3 on your PS4 right now. And um, 1 and 2. And 1 and 2, the you PS4 can also play it on Vita. Version. Uh, these are games that were relegated to just the Vita before, but now you can play them on PC, you can play them on PS4. And I think this is a series... I think sometimes people get scared about how anime it is, whatever that means, or how weird it is. Um, but I've had a couple of people on Twitter reach out to me and they said, hey, I wouldn't have given this a shot or, you know, I checked this out because of how you talked about it. And I think 
kind of like Life is Strange, uh, the visual novel aspect of it being broken up between these class trials and these investigations is a nice change of pace from a lot of the other stuff that you could be playing. And uh, don't let its weirdness scare you away. I really think there's something there. And you played a little bit of one and I got was into eight that. hours into one and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. And then just put it down. Yeah. Yeah. But, love, uh, love, love it. I Dungan Rapa V3, what I love saying is that if you get into the series, I'm not going to tell you that it drops off at 2 or it drops off at V3, nice, uh, at least yeah. so far, uh, whereas V3 right now has me by the balls by this crazy twist that I was not <laughs> expecting. Um, and I, I actually prefer, not everybody feels this way, but I prefer Danganronpa 2, Danganronpa 1, and the way that game ends is just absolutely insane as well. But very, very cool. I wish I could talk a little bit more in detail about specific things. I don't, I'm hesitant to even describe characters in too great a detail because I think meeting them and figuring out their different quirks is part of the fun too. Um, so I don't want to go too far. Uh, maybe once a little bit more time has passed and I've finished the game, we can talk about it in greater detail. But right now, Dangarapa V3 is very cool and you should give it a shot. Give it a go. Do you know what else you should give a shot, Michael hmm. Huber? What? A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Wait a minute. Before we go on, <laughs> that was just me kind of monologuing Danganronpa V3, but mm-hmm. you've played Danganronpa 1. You yeah. said you loved it. I enjoyed it so much. When are you going to get back to it? I was going to try to get back to the PS4 versions, you know, because so much time has passed now. With yeah. with 1, I don't remember anything, so it'd be weird sure. to just jump back right in. Yeah. Um, Want to get to the PS4 versions, but I still have Silver Case that I want to play even before Don- Danganronpa. Do you want to play Silver so. Case because of Suda? Dude, because that's... of Suda, because of the story content, yeah, um, like murder mystery. I know Danganronpa has yeah. is similar style, but you know more of a detective. So what I want to say about Danganronpa, especially knowing uh, the stories that you love, like you really care about the Resident Evil story, right? Mm-hmm. And I think something that you care about with the Resident Evil story is sort of this big, broad conspiracy that just yes. keeps going different, uh, deeper, it. and has new wrinkles with every game. Mm-hmm. Where you got to in Danganronpa, you just sort of saw this killing game. You saw yeah. these the relationship between these characters who were put in this horrible situation. What is really cool about Danganronpa is why they were placed there. The big conspiracy going on, mm-hmm. the different mm. it was factors so, yeah. at play. So mysterious. Was yes. like, What's happening? The more you learn about that mystery, the more that I think you individually would get wrapped up in it. Okay. And I don't again I don't want to spoil that stuff because yeah. it's really fun to uncover. And one but, isn't even uh, very long. I don't like remember how long hours, it is. Then, yeah. Like 15, 20, something like that. I don't remember exactly. And they're not that. hard games that seems either. kind of long to me. But. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Especially now. But, I mean, it's not like 50 hours. I totally. Guess. Sure. Sure. That's what I thought. That's why I played it, because it wasn't 50 hours. Yeah. I always thought it was long, because it was a JRPG anime-looking game. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> do you like, think oh, there's a chance that you'll get back to it before the end of 2017? <laughs> <laughs> Could every I time I every time I think I'm caught up on games this year, like five more come out, so I really don't know. Yeah, and I don't want to pressure you. It's just yeah. because you express enthusiasm. It is definitely high on the list. Like cool. I have not forgotten about Tongarampa. I've not written it off. I would love to get back to the first one, especially now that the PS4 is like a nice double pack. Yeah. Um I just don't know. One out of time. Blood, have you ever played a visual novel? Um yeah, I definitely I played uh, a lot of the ones that were on the DS, like uh, mm. you know Trace Memory and Hotel Dusk. Hotel and, Dusk. Um, one of the there was a, 
forget what it was called. One of the people that used to be at Sing, um, I guess, had like formed another company and released uh, a game like last year, I think it was, on the 3DS that was kind of hotel dusk like. Hmm. Um, but not it, en- any bells. it ended up not having like a lot of like budget behind it, and I, so it was like surprisingly short. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've certainly gotten into some of those games and enjoyed them. Do you know anything about Dian Rapa? And if you do, does any of that make you interested or not interested in the series? Oh, it's definitely something that I find interesting. I guess I guess I'm just never really into yeah the killing game battle royale mm. kind of setups. Is it? I know that like you say, like there's a lot that you know more that goes into that. That's more surprising. Definitely, but, but the the killing game is. Absolutely, the framing of each each of the three games, and it, it is a big part. These kids murdering each other. What about that setup kind of puts you off? I mean, it's just that weird. Yeah, it's just that weird setup of like, yeah, kids killing each other. People, yeah, fig- yeah, figuring out who's. And now it's been done so many times too. Like it has been done so many times, and I think if it was just that, yeah, uh, but there's more there. Yeah, yeah like the, yeah. when you figure out. The reason this is happening and who's behind it and all of that stuff, uh, I think uh, it's it's really cool. And I the, the ways that these people get executed are just so outlandish yeah. and hard to describe. Um, but specifically, Blood, I would want to get your take on the soundtrack. Um, okay. Because yeah. uh, for Danganronpa 1 and 2, just those two, I went out and I bought the soundtrack because I couldn't get these songs out of my head. Um, and they're... They're really good and they're really different than a lot of the other stuff. Like it's it's got some rock, it's got some pop, it's got some jazz, it's got all these different like eclectic styles kind of mixed into it that I think is uh, really really cool. And that, that specifically, I want to get your your feedback on. Maybe I'll just like give you the soundtrack <laughs> and listen to that. But yeah, from you, you are very good when it comes to discussing video game music, and I want to know what you think about Danganronpa. Truth bullets, hype. Do you know what's coming at you like a bullet right now? Hmm. Do you know what it is? Emails. We're gonna do emails before the hotake this week. Whoa! Whoa. Caught you off guard. Yeah, you did. You don't know when the hotake is coming, do you? No. No. <laughs> it's coming out of nowhere. No, this it show. It will come out of nowhere. You never know what's gonna happen with this show. You never know what's gonna happen. But we're doing emails first this week, just so I could have that little moment. Mix it up. You. Mix Shake it up. It up. <laughs> Our first email comes in from Ian. I really like this email. Also, at Alexander Arts. Very good artist. Uh, Longtime fan of GT. Very cool dude. Uh, But he says, naming things in games. Do you care about naming things in games? I surely do. Whether it's troops in Civilization, Pokemon, or characters in a JRPG, I always spend a while thinking about it. My girlfriend, on the other hand, names her Pokemon Dumb Duck and Bird, which drives me nuts. What is your thought process when naming things in games? <laughs> Dumb Duck and Bird. I just name my character Huber now. You just name character Huber? Um, that wasn't always the case. I used to name them Max Payne or Hitman. <laughs> then it moved to Enemy Zero for a really long time because there's this survival horror game on Sega Saturn called Enemy Zero. It's a really cool game. That's a really cool name. Enemy Zero was my screen name and name for a long time. But then I just started going with Huber. Yeah. And uh, when you know JRPGs, when you get other party members, I like to go with the stock name. You know, um, Tifa's coming in. 
Yeah. That's Tifa. Orin's coming in. It's Orin. Like, I'm not fiddling around with those names ever. I don't want to read too much into this, but you sound (laughs) uh, a little bit maybe embarrassed that you name him Huber. Is that true? Maybe a little bit. It feels so... Dude, it's like my crazy self-consciousness with building things in games. Yeah. You know, just naming them Huber feels kind of lazy. It'd be cool if I could come up with, you know, like a name that fits the world more. Or like, I don't know. But at the same time, it's different because JRPGs, you are that character, you know? Right. So like Persona 5, it is me inhabiting that character. So they should be called Huber, I guess. Yeah, I have different rules, yeah. I guess. When it is a character that is supposed to be me, where yeah. I'm where it's it's very clear that like there isn't a default name, it's just like the protagonist, yeah. then I will name it myself cuz that puts me into it more exactly what you were describing. But what do you name Link? Pokémon or JRPG characters? No, what do you mean what do you name Link in Zelda? Yeah. Oh, see, that's the thing. I always, yeah. always got to go with Link. I, I always got to go with Link, too. I always got to go with Link. here's the thing that messes with me, and maybe it's interacting <laughs> with you and Kyle too much, where once I know that it's supposed to be another name, yeah. that's always in the back of my mind. Yeah. Like, this this character that I named, you know, Numbnuts, actually is supposed to be named Link. Yeah. It's always in the back of my mind. Yep. And so when they're calling him Numbnuts, I'm like, I bet they wish they were calling him Link. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm... Like Cinestix. <laughs> that's Yuffie, dude. Right. Like, what are no, you doing? No, no, You You did something that you're never... No. What's her name again? Her name is Cinestix. There is oh, no okay, other... No. Whatever you just said does not exist. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. That I'm is sorry. not a character you're in right. Final Fantasy VII. There's a um, name. Well, I mean, we just saw... It against my own rule. On the, on the Dark Souls stream, yeah, you saw my my general, like, always pretty much go with blood. I, Persona 5, though, was an exception. Oh, um, why is that? Because he's an obviously, like, a Japanese character, Japanese student. Like, I didn't... Like, even though I'm sort of taking his role, it didn't feel like that was me, necessarily. Like, I felt mm. like he should have had a name, in a way. Uh, and so, I forget what I actually ended up naming him, but I, I, I like literally like went through like Japanese names and like mixed and matched until like I got like a, a surname and 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 all what that. What did you end up going with? Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I can't remember what I actually named him. We gotta find off out. Top of my head. See, it was really hard for me, Blood, because the art that they used for the protagonist of Persona Five, it just was identical to me. Like it looked so much like me that I couldn't help but interpret it as myself because Absolutely. it was... Like, don't you think it's uncanny? Yeah. Yeah. I thought about naming mine Ben for, <laughs> you know, a minute. Um, and then with, like, like uh, Pokemon... Pokemon's one of those things where there's so many Pokemon where that if there's some kind of, like, jokey name or, like, appropriate name that I could come up with, like, right when I catch it and have to put that name in... Yeah. Then I'll do it. I take my time with Pokemon. Otherwise, it's like, but, yeah, you're whatever. See, I like, like keeping it the default because I want to remember the different Pokemon. Like, I yeah, that's you. Like, I yes, yeah. if I don't know what Pokemon is, I'd like to. You know, like, I'm a champ will come out and I'll name it like Bigfoot or like Bow- Bruiser or something. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. So uh, I want to like something accordion, but it's right? good for like the first. Seven or eight Pokemon, and then you you're like, out. Oh, yeah. what are you? Because then you get other, like, brute-looking ones, and it's like, well, I already used Bruiser. I want to <laughs> talk about uh, creative characters where 
you know, you're just making it up. It can be a different race. It can be a different class, yada, yada. You can, you know, give it a big head, crazy hair. Defaulte. You always name it Defaulte? No. No. Oh. What do you, because I, there I tend to get a little bit more creative, but I tend to fall into loops where if I'm making, like, a female character, I'll always name it, like, one of two things. Or male characters, I'll tend to name it one of two things. I, but I will interpret that name differently. Mm-hmm. It's just like this weird sort of little ritual that I have. I guess that sounds creepier than I intended it to. But <laughs> yeah, that's what I go through. Uh, what do you guys do for creative characters? Are you naming it Huber? Depends. It's a lot of creative characters, you know. Again, it all depends. Case-to-case basis. Like, yeah. if I'm making It would just a- make me happy if you made a giant orc and called it Huber. Yeah, like if I'm doing <laughs> a wrestling game, you know... Yeah, I might name it something differently than like a divinity original sin or something. Mm-hmm. You know, divinity or original sin. I might just like Google some names. You mm. know, make a lizard man and just name him like Jaka or something. <laughs> Jaka the lizard Jaka. man. Jaka the lizard man. You know, I would love to do <laughs> a stream where we just play a bunch of different games, but we only make characters. Awesome. And every like a, we switch out between the games and yeah. a different person. Will, that's a good idea. WWE Two K eighteen comes out in two weeks, and the character creation is going to be insane. So pumped. Uh, how about you, Blood? How do you handle character creation? Um, yeah. Again, like I, I said, most of the time, or it'll be my my own name. So it'll be but, blood for the yeah. the blank slates. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I, I don't know what game it would be. But right now I'm I'm feeling uh, Horus is a good a good name. Horus. Horus. Yeah. I like it. Where's that? It just it just came to you. Just just a moment. You want to make a Horus? Feel like yeah. All right. Let's talk through this. This is a. This is that's a very that's a very Huberish character I think in a way but is, but more but more of like. Uh, like a London thug. What fantasy race is Horace? <laughs> oh, a fantasy race. Yeah. Um, if it can be applied there. Hmm. Maybe an ogre. Okay. <laughs> what is Horace's ogre class? <laughs> um, he's a warrior. Yeah. He is. Yeah. He is a warrior. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. I didn't want to say it. Our next question. We should make. Uh, we should all make characters for WWE. That'd be, fun. <laughs> That'd be a really fun stream. We all make our own character and then fight. Our next question comes in from Zach. He says, "Hey, allies. I know this subject might be considered taboo by some. Oh, but let's discuss religion in gaming. Specifically, why is it almost always portrayed in a negative light? Evil cults, sadistic psychopaths, and murder and mayhem seem to be the focus of most religious portrayals in video games. I also want to just put in the like killing God in like JRPGs, which yeah. means frequently. So why do you think that is? Is it just harder to portray faith in a positive manner, or is religion more interesting for a story when used as a source of evil? Oh, this is a really good question. Jeez. Yeah, and very heavy. Yeah. I mean, that is... Great point, though. It's always... Yeah, it's always combative i'm trying to think of a game where you're like a jolly religious person or like oh i got a great example recently actually night in the woods did it really well Hmm. because her mom works at the church you know and she's just trying to pass that down to the lead character and trying to you know have these talks have these discussions and just you know Actually, you may have gotten there uh, already. In Life is Strange, there's a character. 
um, who, yeah, who's a Christian, who, like, the, she, she gets kind of teased and stuff, and you yes, stuff yes, you I find have. in her journals. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Did I say and, Life and is Strange? I, I, I felt words. like that was actually handled pretty authentically in a way I was a little, a little surprised by. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, that's, like, the number one reason that I don't care about Far Cry 5. It's just, like, this weird kind of, like, cynical view of, like, American religion, and it's just, like, eh. Not really feeling it, you know. It's like it's almost yeah. like too typecast, you know, in yeah, terms of how, how the cult operates or whatever. And right. at the same time, from what I've played, it doesn't feel like it has any substantive purpose to it. It's just like this imagery, you know. It That always drives me insane where attempt at commentary or satire is just like putting in the stereotype. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can use stereotypes in effective ways to have an artistic message. If it's done in a, in like a critical way, like there, there are elements there that you can play with to, to say something meaningful, but when you just shove it in and then don't do anything with it, yeah. it's just, it's just meaningless. And I think makes the problem even worse. Um, but how do you feel blood about religions that are not, Real, that are fantastical science fiction or fantasy religions. Uh, does that stuff bother you, or is it, you know, far enough removed that it doesn't? I mean, yeah, it's 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 usually not something that bothers me because it is like you're saying, it is fantasy. It is a whole other world, other framework. Um, there is like some weirdness, like when you get towards the end of Xenoblade. There's like some things that feel a little bit weird about that that commentary and like what right. what are you trying to say with this but um you know it's like well we don't need gods anymore or whatever but um but you know but at the same time it's like you look at the the framework of that world and like and it sort it makes sense in that world it's just like again it goes but like what is the creator trying to say through saying this you know so uh, I guess we're not really getting to the heart of the question though is is why do you think this is happening why why are is is religion just an easy target? Oh, religion is one of the most universal story aspects, you know, that people can connect to even if you are not religious. It's something, you know, mm. people So you think you think that that uh familiarity, mm-hmm. like everybody understands the concept of religion or has intera- is yeah. either is either religious themselves or know somebody that's religious that that yeah. is something Integral to right. humanity, right? You know, I see. Mm-hmm. so sure, I think that's a very good answer. You can, all across all storytelling mediums, it mm-hmm. is prolific. It is a pillar of storytelling. Why do you think it's it's used blood? Do you agree with that? That uh, that how integral it is to the history of humanity, or um, I don't know. I feel like in you know in some cases. It's one of those things that's it's very easy to be cynical about because in a lot of ways, you know, if you're following religion, it's like it's something that you're aspiring to and, you know, like nobody's perfect. Like nobody's ever going to be perfect. So it's like really easy to get into that mindset of, you know, seeing people as being hypocritical or whatever like that, and and depend, you know, and it just like I think it just depends a lot on people's life experiences. And if 
you know, you, you've been around people who feel holier than thou or who say one thing and do another, then it's really easy for that to like, just feel like, you know, every religion is like on an equal playing field and they're like, they're, they're all cults and they're all, you know, trying to manipulate people in a way. And, and it's harder to see all the, the good that people have done and the people that really are um, trying to, to do their best. Right. Yeah, I, I think that is a good point as well and can be applied to so many things where when you have something that is so big and so impactful for so many, like there are always going to be, when, when that thing, when there's a negative example for that thing, it, it echoes a lot more. Uh, like you think about, right, like I am not saying electronic arts shouldn't be criticized or that they haven't done bad things in the past. But because of this huge company, it's like I see sometimes on the Internet, no matter what they say or no matter what they do, the response is the same, that you've done bad things, you've abused your consumers, we are always going to treat you badly. Like that sort of thing where it's just easy to get into this rigid mindset based on several prominent bad examples, and it may not always be true. But that interaction with that thing paints a whole thing where like there are people who treat all triple a games as an equal evil or all you know it's 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 so much easier for us as human beings when we're trying to protect ourselves to generalize and put a paintbrush over a broad thing so that way we're never exposed to it i think it's so much harder to challenge ourselves and say yes there's a lot of bad here but there is also a lot of good and go through the effort to to pick through those things. Um, and along those lines, I would like to see more examples of religions, religion and games. It would be interesting, I think, to play as somebody who is very devout and have that be part of the gameplay somehow. I think that would be, mm-hmm. would be very yeah. cool. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, moral choices really fits into that. And, right. You know, I, I feel that um, there are a lot of, a uh, lot more room for things that are not so easily black and white from like everybody's perspective but just like black and white from like where or challenging from this character's perspective you know right. it's like what 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 do they believe in and um what is this moment like having them choose between okay i imagining i imagine it being very very difficult to try to tell a story in a religious way or a religious story like because so many people have different religions mm-hmm. not everyone is going to agree with you know, said religion or said viewpoint. You know, you put your corporate suit on, trying to sell your video game as a product, but then you also yeah. want to tell a. I mean, I think that happens all you know, the time. So and that's it. You're exactly right. Where so messy. The, the reason these things don't happen is because they don't want to step in any toes and create a big controversy that they. Can so the attend. so the easy the right. easy route the easy way out is to make a villainous religion like unitology right. and dead space but it's far enough removed from actual religion exactly yeah. so it's like oh the unitologists they're evil they're making the aliens so like, like let's get them it can seem like commentary without any real risk yes but that that has to stop yeah we like i get it i understand it's easy to say i get mm-hmm. that i'm just some asshole on a podcast i understand <laughs> but uh I want games to be okay with challenging things, even if it creates some controversy. I think we yeah. need to do that. I think there's enough going on in the world in so many different aspects that it's just like, just just say something. And if it blows up, it blows up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, like... Nine in the Woods. I, I said Nine in the Woods to start this, right? Yeah, Not yeah. Life is Strange? 
Okay, Nine in the Woods, check it out. Yeah. Uh, moving on, not uh, not quite so serious, but still an interesting question, I think, from Jared. Greetings, Ben, an honored panel. I like that phrasing. <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on something that has been discussed some, but would love to hear more dialogue on the issue. Uh, the Nintendo Switch tax is what he's calling this thing. We've already seen yes. it on multiple games, as you're all aware. Just Nintendo tax in general. Let Nintendo me just tax. asterisk that. Sure. Yeah. Asterisk that. yeah. Okay. Sure, sure. The, his words, though, the Nintendo Switch tax, but I started thinking about it a lot more with heavy hitters, Bethesda and Rockstar, both announcing some major titles for the Switch this fall and beyond. Wait, what did Rockstar announce? Eleanor. Uh, Eleanor. Oh, right, right, right. My question is, as a consumer and fan of Nintendo and the Switch... Is it my responsibility to invest in these games, of which I've already played, in order for that third-party support to keep coming? Or is it the responsibility of Nintendo to ensure the games are coming day and date, moving forward with other consoles, and at the very least be the same price as Xbox and PlayStation? For Ally Noir, it's an extra $10 compared to its counterpart. That may not seem like a lot, but to me, that's a pretty troubling sign. Any thoughts on this? My question isn't, should you buy these games on Switch if you want them? Of course you should. My question is more about the unique situation Nintendo is in right now with Switch and third parties and really unprecedented territory as far as I'm concerned. Love and respect, Jerry. It's both. It's their responsibility to stay on that, keep the pressure up on third parties, keep the communication lines open, get those games on Switch. But also, too, the consumer, you know, if L.A. Noir doesn't sell at all on Switch, GTA V is looking less and less likely for, for Switch. Red mm. Dead 2 is looking less and less likely for Switch. If L.A. Noir comes out and it blows up huge on Switch, that opens the door for further remasters, for further games from Rockstar, uh, just third-party support in general. So I think it's both. And I think the $10 tax, again, this is just some asshole on a podcast speculating. Right. Uh, you know, talking to... It was it was an interesting conversation with Quentin Cobb, who works at Daybreak, used to work at Naughty Dog, just about developing on the Switch versus other systems, developing to get things on the cartridge rather than a disc. Just that there are different challenges involved. Mm. Um, it being on the TV and on the gamepad. You know, just all these other factors. So I'm wondering if they have to just... They had to hire a separate team to work on sure. just that version. And that's where that extra $10 comes from. to Kind of to recoup, you know, a team that's just working on that version. Versus the team that's working on the PC, Xbox Right, PS4 but I mean, version, when we're talking you know? about, but the thing is, is when we're when we're talking about them costing more on the Switch, we're talking about the release of Doom mm -hmm. this fall on Switch versus buying a PS4 copy that's been out for a long time. And I think the reality is just that once a game has been out for a few months, it gets discounted below its actual value. Yeah, to sell more copies. Yeah, like. And and so I think it's kind of strange that like it is kind of, kind of annoying that it costs more on a system even though it's been out on these other systems for a long time mm -hmm. and it costs less on them. But I don't but, think but it's necessarily unfair. It's, it's, it's not because the reality is sure it's an old game, but like a new team of people worked 
on that version to get it out. People, you know, there were publishers and marketers involved on this release coming out. If it were Nintendo that made the game, the game would have never dropped price in the first place. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) What do you you think about the argument uh, that that we haven't brought up and Jared didn't bring up that, that the tax is because of the unique nature of the switch where but i don't think it like i think if you see like like re-releases on the ps4 re-release on steam they might not be like full prices if they come out date and date right they're still more yeah than than that original version than the original version so you're saying that what you're seeing is is in line with a trend that's been happening in other places i think i think the doom scenario is a lot different than the la noir scenario because Mm -hmm. doom has been out this L.A. Noir version is a brand new version for all the systems. Right. But the Switch is $10 more versus Doom is just the old game on Switch. Right. But again, you know, new people mm. involved, new you know, making it, publishing it again, marketing but it, all that stuff. Do you, Michael Huber, think there is value to Doom being on Switch specifically? Not just the fact that it's a Nintendo console, but the fact that it is, uh, you can play it portably. Of course, and a new audience, you know, but like, mm-hmm. I'm always in favor, like I always want every game to be on every system, you know? I, I'm not yeah. one to believe like, the uh, you know, I can only have this game over here. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. no, give as many people the chance but to play it, as many games as possible. But are they charging too much for it? I mean, I don't know the intricacies of how much time and money and effort went into making this a reality. You know, this isn't just somebody snapping their finger and say, you know, put that uh, one-year-old game on here. You know, make make it happen. Go. Like this is, they, uh, this is this is people working. You know, people doing a, doing their jobs. You know, we gotta we gotta pay them. <laughs> I I think sometimes it's again. I was bringing this up with the religion thing, and I think it's true here, where it's easy to. Be like, okay, because this game is out for a while, it yeah, should be because really I can really go cheap. on Amazon and see right. a used copy of right. Doom for the you know seventeen dollars. It, it is easy to get into this <laughs> mindset of everything should have be treated the same all the time. Mm-hmm. But for me, as somebody who paid sixty dollars for Doom, was it fifty or sixty? I don't know, something 60, like that. 60. It, on PC when it originally came out, that game is fantastic. Yeah. I've already played through Doom. Yeah. I'm happy. Like, to happy. me, I can tell you right now, as somebody who's finished that game, that yeah. Doom is worth... Every cent. Every cent that I pay for it and yeah. will pay again uh, on the Switch just because I want to experience yeah. that version. Uh, and so I do think it is important to to take it on a case-by-case basis. But exactly. The other so th- that, that, that case, I'm okay with. Because, again, the logistics. Yeah. The one that is a little more alarming, though, is L.A. Noir. Is this simultaneous release on these systems? Yeah. Of course, Eleanor is an older game, but again, this version, this remaster, is getting released on yeah. all the systems, and that one is ten. The Switch version is ten dollars more. It does feel so like so. It's 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 alarming, and I that know that development yeah. cost should have been spread uh-huh. out to have an equal price. Yeah. yeah. So it it is. You know, the do you think first, that's a dangerous precedent? It, it has the potential too. I don't think too. it's the first. I think it's been a, a oh, it case has of been happening. Okay, well, this past, is a, yeah. this is a high profile one then for yeah. me because I haven't heard about this. I don't know, you mm-hmm. know. But but again, if, if this keeps happening, that is alarming. That is troubling. That's unfortunate. Um, you know, because but is game, it unfortunate and you swallow it, or is it unfortunate and that's unacceptable? Uh, it, oh, you know, I think thing, if we we're talking about a game going up to seventy, then it's like no. 
Do not. Yeah, like but if, if you're talking about a full game that was like sixty dollars when it came out yeah. at some point, anyways, and it's like I can always sort of justify it as like if it was worth sixty dollars, then why isn't it sixty dollars now? You know. But if Evil Within Two came out on every system on Friday the Thirteenth, and the Switch version was seventy dollars, that is unacceptable. Then you think it's, it's unacceptable? Un- I think it's unacceptable because. You can argue that while it's, you know, you get the portability factor, you're paying an extra basically $10 to have a handheld version of the game. Mm. You know, if you want to headcanon it, look at it like that. I'm getting the Wii version and the 3DS version, you know, in a weird sense of reality. You're getting two kind of versions of it. But the Switch has been known to downgrade their visuals, Mm -hmm. you know. So I'm paying $10 more. Yeah, I get it portable but I'm getting a lesser performing version of the game as well. So, so are you saying it's unacceptable in the way where you, Michael Huber, are not going to be picking up those versions? I mean, for me personally, it's a case-to-case basis, mm-hmm. but if Nintendo comes out and this starts happening for every single game, that is going to be very damaging to the, the Switch reputation. What do you I think about the other part of this email where he's saying, is it our responsibility to buy these third-party titles to let people know that third-party matters. Yeah, I mean, you buy the games you want to buy. Yep. Yeah, buy, buy what you want to buy, but, you know, try not to pirate games mm-hmm. and try to support things you really love. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, regrettably borrow a game from Brad yeah. that he gives me. You know, he let me borrow uh, Kingdom Hearts 2.8. Sure, Kingdom Hearts obviously doesn't need my 40 or 50 bucks whatever 2.8 was but still kingdom hearts is a franchise that i love and that i want to get behind and support but they're missing out on my sale you know i support them wholeheartedly so you know again it's all it's a sticky situation yeah try to try to support what you really really hold dear the thing for me is we're still pretty early on. Uh, there have been some disappointing ports to Switch for me personally, particularly Dragon Quest Heroes uh, 1 and 2 was, mm-hmm. was a bummer. But uh, for me, like I'm going to be giving Doom a shot. Mm-hmm. I may or may not give Eleanor a shot. And depending on how those versions are, like the portability fact... I, I, I'm yeah. carrying Right now I'm carrying my Switch with me most places. Yeah. And so the idea of having games that I know I already like in this form is very appealing to me. And if those versions are, they don't have to be perfect, but if they're they're reasonably well executed, like mm-hmm. that's a big deal for me. Yeah. Like the the gimmick of the Switch is working out with my life. Yeah. In a very <laughs> for big sure. way. For sure. Um. But yeah, a lot of things to consider there. I think it was a, a good. Are you sure these emails aren't the uh, otakes? The emails, that's the thing, is the emails are their own little otakes. Sometimes the emails are better than the otakes because these people are able to bring things that I never would, I would never think of. Did you think these were good emails, Blood? Yeah. Those were great. Uh, You think it's a good time for otake? Oh my god. Blood? You think it's a good time? Uh, this week's otake, I actually switched up the otake at the last minute. Whoa. Um, because what I was going to do, I think we've talked about enough before, but uh, kind of talking about value, talking about these re-releases, this is actually a, a perfect transition because uh, we 
collectively at Easy Allies, lapped up the Escanese Classic. Lapped we lapped it up. it up. Lapped it up. Lapped it up. We all like either pre-ordered like multiple versions or waited early in line. We were so on board for this thing. And for a lot of us, these are games that we already own in multiple places in some instances, uh, different times. And this is the second example, the NES Classic we also all freaked out about and tried to get our hands on. Um, and I notice us getting excited. Like, think about our response to uh, Final Fantasy IX on PS4, which also re-released on PC and then had a downloadable version on PSP Vita, PS3, all that good stuff. We're getting excited about these things, spending money time and time again on these re-releases. And somebody during one of my streams said, hey, man, it's just pure BS how much work Microsoft is doing in making these things backward compatible and making you not have to repay for them. Like, it's so cool that I've got Lost Odyssey, Super Meat Boy, Bayonetta mm-hmm. on my Xbox One, and I didn't have to pay for those things again, whereas on PS4 or other platforms, I yeah. do. Um, but I'm doing it on other platforms. I'm not making a big stink about it. Uh, so my question for this week's Hotake after that long preamble is... While it's okay for us to get excited about these games, it's okay for us to be spending money, do you think we should be raising our voices a little bit more that these games that we have purchased, uh, even if they are releasing slightly better versions, that they should be acknowledging that prior investment, that there should be some sort of acknowledgement, especially on something like uh, PlayStation 4, where you can't be playing these PS1, PS2 classics, uh, that you may have already bought on your PS3 on your PS4 is that unacceptable? Should we be getting a little bit more credit for those purchases? Yeah, I think the the PS3 to PS4 and the Wii to Wii U to Switch, like I think those are the perfect examples because mm-hmm. now we're in this digital marketplace, right? Like, yeah. there's no really conceivable way that like I could take my NES cartridge of Bionic Commando and say, hey, why doesn't this play on my Switch? You know, uh, but now that like we have account systems and emails and credit cards and everything that like tracks this whole purchase history, it it doesn't make sense that okay this machine can technically play this game, uh, so why why not? You know, like the only realistic reason is because backwards compatibility. You know, as I said, it's like Microsoft's got it going on. It's not really that talked about, you know, uh, and, and in comparison, if you invest a lot of money into making something backwards compatibility versus invest some money into re-releasing something, then it's like, well, you can get your money back when if you release something, you know, so it's, it's a strange kind of a thing to where what Microsoft's doing is really great for their goodwill among their customers, but it's it's hard to see how it would attract new customers in mm. in the same way. Well, uh, the backwards compatibility thing isn't the only thing Microsoft is doing. They're also True. doing the Game Pass, where that is that is a new, arguably cost effective way for you to play a lot of this older stuff by just paying mm. a flat fee. And it's not just you know. 360 games it's like xbox live arcade like retro games as well um and all of that sort of stuff and so that's 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 a different thing but arguably you're you're paying a nominal fee to experience a lot of things that you may have already experienced just in a very convenient way yeah yeah what do you think huber um 
this is something I always wrestle with. You know, I love the idea of being able to put your old games into your new system and just have it work. Like Xbox has got it going on. I love that you said that, you know, it's, you know, I'm thinking about replaying Red Dead Redemption, obviously, because the Red Dead hype is out of control and I'm way more down to just put in the 360 disc into my Xbox one, than get out my old PS3 and, and do it that way. You know, and the Xbox one will look a little better, yeah. uh, run a little better. So but yeah, let me throw it's this tough. At you. Like, but it, I, you know, it, but then there's times when it's so nice to just download this clean version of Final Fantasy Nine to put on your heart, your PS4 hard drive. But like, it's not just downloading. You're you're, you're buying it. it. You're of buying course. it. Yeah. But it's like, was was work put into that? You know, did people work extra? It goes back to what we sure. what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier about like the the people are working to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So. But I think I think the best example for me, and I would, you know, hopefully whenever Nintendo announces whatever the crap they're going to do with old games on the Switch, uh, was the Wii to Wii U transition. Yes, because was it was disgusting. It it no 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 no, 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 no. no just the the uh, the eShop the the 3DS was it what you what you had on your 3DS you couldn't transfer. Yeah, over? no, that's a whole other thing. What I'm getting okay. at though is yeah yeah. yeah. If you had your Wii games yeah. on your Wii U, your virtual console games, mm-hmm. when you went to the store, it saw that. Yeah. It knew that you were already on this game, and they're like, okay, this isn't going to cost $10. It's just going to cost like a dollar or a dollar fifty so that you can have these new features like save states and stuff that, like mm-hmm. the stuff that they actually did mm-hmm. make the work for, yeah. for the Wii U version. Cool. And so to me, like that makes perfect sense it's like okay you, you've tracked that i've got this you've done something more okay charge me some nominal fee you know to be able to play it in a more convenient way yeah what about the issue of perception uh where you announce something like a final fantasy 9 or you have a fancy trailer or something that like hey this is coming out in the store Tuesday, get excited about it. Do you think that has more impact and plays more of a psychological trick on us than just here's all of the games that are going to be backwards compatible? Here's yeah. the list, check it out. Yeah, it's an event. It a it's a release. It's an event. How important do you think that it being an event is? Extremely. The zeitgeist. Uh-huh. You know, uh, backwards compatible is a very singular personal thing. Mm-hmm. What I, what I own, I can now pop in and play. It, it is not like. It, it you know, almost feels they're like... not releasing Red Dead Redemption again. They're making it so privately in your home. If you own it, you can play it, you know, versus like, yo, we're releasing this. This is coming out. It almost feels like it's validating a cause in a weird way where, like, you go and you release something that people have been waiting this company to give attention to for a long time that they feel like they have to buy it to put their money where their mouth is and maybe like increase further development. Yeah. Like they're, they're putting so much stock Mm -hmm. in the re-release and that by spending money, it's some sort of vindication for that. (laughs) Do you think there's, there's truth there or I mean, if Dragon Quest Eight got put on the store in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> I would give them my money for support. Absolutely. But for the support, for the like, support, again, it's yeah. like you're supporting yeah. this cause. Like, Here, yes, yes, right, for Take something it. that you have already yeah. supported yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Uh, you know, so again, it's like that the internet just being like, we started the podcast kind of talking about it. Just you know, when we we're talking about Destiny, just being plugged in, and the internet being just this 
limitless, boundless thing of like, you look at backwards compatibility and you look at all these games being released, but then, you know, when you take stock and when you sit down and you think about the games coming out that you want to even play or rebuy in any given moment, for me personally, it doesn't come up that often. You know, I'm so overwhelmed by newer games. I'm so just... I'm just overwhelmed by everything in life. So many mediums. It's like, Final Fantasy IX came out again. I have the PS1 version. I haven't even bought the PS4 one because I don't have time to play it. It's just... It's weird. Because... There, like, again, just... There are so many Xbox backwards compatible games. But like you were saying, Blood, of just like... Nobody ever talks about it, mm-hmm. you know. Or so it's, I, you know, or they, if they talk about it they, again, it's like they don't talk about oh this game, yeah, because it's like this just chunk of games at any given time mm-hmm. that you know gets that yeah. release, you know. So it's yeah, you you don't get that singular thing. It's like oh everyone's excited about this game because they remember it. Mm-hmm. It's just like nope, this wave of games, you know, everything from yeah. you know. M- some weird little license game that nobody's ever heard of and then it, like you, you kind of have to like sift through that list and like oh that's good okay that's good oh that's great but the, yeah the, it's, okay. it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing the unreasonable me though would obviously want every system to be backwards compatible yeah. Yeah. with every game on their systems yeah like, and that's the other thing let it's me like, put the games I bought in my system and play them period but that just seems unreasonable you know but yeah Xbox is doing work like yeah. that is pretty much what you can do with Xbox One. You can just pop your 360 games in there, and that is so nice. That is but so amazing. Still not all of them. But still not all of them. It, but in this weird that way, that is the trend I want to see because Nintendo has burned us all. It's weird because everything that you're saying, I, I completely agree with. Whereas backwards compatibility used to be an expectation, and now it's a luxury. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a and, luxury. And yep. that's that's we really played all the GameCube games. We you played all the Wii games. But in a weird PS3 way, originally played all the PS2 games. Yeah, and this this might sound upsetting, I guess. But I what I'm seeing is probably a net positive. While I do think it's kind of BS that people are not following good examples and they just keep releasing the same thing over and over again. I I have to envision some sort of net positive because I feel like things that I didn't think would be part of the conversation are once again a part of the conversation Mm -hmm. because of the spectacle around them. Yeah. It's nice seeing people talk about Secret of Mana again. Totally. It's It's nice nice seeing people talk about people talking about Final Fantasy IX again. And I don't... Like, I think the SNES Classic is a cool thing that's not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's this cute little SNES classic that is clearly and obviously playing off nostalgia, but it, at least there's something there. At yeah. least it's got this, you know, attractive UI. At least it totally. has an HDMI Bang. port in the back. At least it has Star Fox 2 in it yes. that wasn't readily available before. I- and the other thing, real quick, mm-hmm. before I finish... Is when when I say net positive, that's what I mean. Where if re-releasing games is netting people a lot of money, that they feel compelled to re-release things that are extremely like I'm somebody. There are a lot of games that I want to play that are almost like prohibitively expensive for mm-hmm. me to do so, because of this re-release craze. 
things that were once out of my reach are now fifteen dollars, yeah. twenty dollars yeah. instead of being eighty dollars or hundred dollars. That's really important to me. Totally, I will happily take those downloadable versions rather than hunting for yes. or cartridges. And so that's what I mean when I say net positive. Like in yeah, a way, a, yes, again, it's, it's kind a of more visibility right. kind of thing. Yeah, right. I think PlayStation specifically is in the hardest and worst spot in this whole thing hmm. because Xbox One is backwards compatibility. Nintendo, the Switch is weird, yeah, but the yeah, that's, it's, the Switch is obviously the, uh, its own bag of worms, but, you know, you look at Wii to Wii U and Virtual Console, who knows what the Switch is doing? It's an unknown quantity right now, but there are just so many, so damn many PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games that tens of thousands, maybe more, people do not have access to. So many people just have a PS4 and a PS3 or just have a PS4, weren't around for PS1, weren't around for PS2. So many of those games cannot be played unless you have a PS1 and PS2 or a very, very specific PS3. You know, when I said Dragon Quest VIII, it got me yeah. thinking about that. Like, well, what if you want to play the original Metal Gear Solid and you only have PS4? It's so upsetting I, to I me. I can't play Metal Gear Solid? <laughs> because with the PS3, I actually thought they did an excellent job. Not as much with the PS2 classics, but with the PS1 classics. And yeah. then going even farther and having all of these cool imports. Yeah. Like, there are so many a lot. great PS1 games. So many that came out with PS1 classics. Yeah. And the thing is, is like... <laughs> Let me download those on PS4. You, Let me have access. You've done a great job of unifying those accounts in so many ways yeah. that it just seems so nakedly obvious the reason you're not letting me play those games on PS4 is so you can get me to buy them again. Yeah. Like, it just... Because it I can just download it on my sense. Vita, I can download it right. on my PS3, right. I can download right. it on my PSP. To go, to go to that length where you can yeah. give us, in the previous generation, all of these different avenues, but then here, a console that is doing exceptionally well yeah. to not let us do that, yeah. it is just... Angry. Making it like, and it's making it, it a huge like, deal. It makes me feel like I shouldn't have spent all that money when times were good. Yeah. Because now you're just slapping me in the face. Yep. There's so many games on the PS3 store that you cannot get on PS4. It is ridiculous. Do you think it's a? Do you think it's a slap in the face, blood? Do you think it's it's not fair that those games that I bought? Yeah. I mean, I, again, going back to the accounts thing, like I think that's the main sort of issue is, you know, people have invested a lot of money in in things like the virtual console and the fact that now we have a like a deadline for when that is all going to be shut down and you can't don't download it anymore it's like uh okay well i've spent the money on those games what are you going to do about it right you can't just tell me that it's like it's you know i got to get everything onto a bunch of sd cards and and that's the only option it's it's scary i think um, and, and something that I tend to forget about because I have totally bought into the convenience of digital. I don't like... I, we live in an age where I don't even really enjoy going to stores anymore because I think like, oh, I can just have Amazon deliver it or I can yeah. just preload this on my system, like hit a button and forget it and then go do something else with my life. Yeah. Like we're, we're getting to a point where going to a store is unnecessary and maybe you love it i love it but you know we live in los angeles right it's hard exactly that's another thing that's (laughs) another thing that i want to say is like it is just it just sucks it's a mission it's a mission (laughs) like it can take 
like an hour and a half your whole to day. go. You yeah. want to go to Best Buy? It's right. your whole day. Right. Exactly. 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 <laughs> yeah. um, and so the digital convenience is really important to my yeah. life. But like Blood was saying, you are forfeiting so much. They can't mm-hmm. come to your house and take that disc away from you. Yeah. They can totally just be like, yeah, we're ending the service and you can't download this anymore. Yeah. And that is uh, terribly PS4 was doing the PS2 to PS4 conversions too. Like they were all behind it. Hashtag PS2, PS4 to shoe it, you know, like full on hashtag thing, getting those games out there, Dark Cloud, whatnot, you know, there's all the GTAs, Manhunt, Bully, I think even, like stopped. Yeah. Haven't seen any in so long. Who knows? Yeah, I th- so we've kind of bounced around all over the place uh, and and said different things, but I think the summary here is that Sony's being really frustrating at the moment yes. for reasons that we've detailed. Uh, it's not that other companies aren't being frustrating, but they've provided better alternatives mm-hmm. than what Sony is doing. However, we're not completely against constant re-releases because it tends to be more good than bad. To me, that seems to be yeah. the summary here. I'm not... Mm-hmm. Well, I also... I mean, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. What do you I, mean by that? I, 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 I mean that... If these... Yeah, if you have like backwards compatibility and all of that, you can still put out some form of a re-release. And that happens. A collector's edition. Yeah, yeah, Xbox gets re-releases that yeah. you pay for. Yeah. yeah. So uh, like, like Voodoo Vince. If you look at, uh, like, take Final Fantasy IX, for, for instance, you know, like, you, you could conceivably get a digital version of that PS1 game or this re-release, which looks very different. And, you okay, you can choose which one of those things. And by having the re-release and the marketing, it gets you talking about it. Yeah. And then he's like, well, do I want the re-release or do I want the original? You know, and, like, either way, you yeah. know, you're, you're going to be giving money towards that game. Mm-hmm. I guess me bringing up Voodoo Vince, it doesn't completely make sense since that's an original Xbox game and we're talking about backwards compatibility, specifically with 360, but I, I get what you're saying, Blood. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for us on a frame trap. How did you guys feel about putting the Hotaki at the end and mixing up the format? Great. How did that work for you, I liked Hannah? it. And yeah. with a crunch. Yeah. Not that the emails weren't crunchy. They're both crunchy. Yeah. <laughs> Some crunchy. Emails, emails are crunchy. Are, are, are a lot of people's favorite parts, and I can understand why. They're good. Very crunchy. Every time, though, you're like, yeah, that's going to do it for the podcast. I get sad every time. Do you? Yeah. You like it. Because it's over. You like being here. Yep. Okay. I like being here, too. I hope you like being here with us. Uh, the reason why we mixed up this format was actually due to a comment on Frame Trap. I read that and I said, yeah, let's try that again. Let's bounce around between people. Let's, you know, mix it up. Let's let's not get stale. So if you have any comments, uh, I'm always listening. I may not, may not take all of your suggestions, but the ones I like, I will definitely take. Uh, special call out to our sponsors. Uh, your support means a lot to us. It allows us to do ridiculously long podcasts and things like that. If you would like to be a sponsor for Frame Trap, that is a $200.50 tier. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash easy allies panel michael huber daniel bloodworth i would like mm-hmm. to to thank you for being on for giving me your well-considered opinions on games always good eventually we'll talk about other things we'll talk about movies and music again on frame trap it will happen <laughs> we are just d- drowning we're drowning, drowning. In games. we've been drowning yeah. for 
a long time. Talked we'll about be continuing. good games. We'll be drowning through November, I'm sure, and probably even December. But uh, we'll get there eventually. We like talking about that stuff, too. Thank you all once again so much for listening. And we will see you...